Yeah, it's 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 it sits in the sits in the beans longer. You get some beanier water. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> something like that. I got myself a cold brew today. Oh, we're recording. We should actually do something. I'm glad right. you have your cold brew though. You ready? Yeah, not a hot brew. I'm not trying to show my armpit sweat this today. Oh, okay. That's gonna that's gonna stop it. Good good job. You found you figured it out. The one thing that <laughs> not. I'm sweat. okay for now. It's damp, but it's not like visibly <laughs> moist all the way through the Gosh. sleeves. Uh, it's bad. It's bad. I'm having to like change shirts midday right now. Geez. Just because. Not even from like doing a lot of activity. But anyway. Oh. Cool. Is this going to be our lead up? This is going to be our lead nice, up. Nice, nice to see you again, Brian. Good to I've see missed you, too, you. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good catching up today, I think. <laughs> all right. Let's get, let's get to it. All right. <laughs> all right. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 52 of the Goulet Pencast, where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet. I'm Drew Brown. And we are here from Goulet Pens to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show where we talk about what's going on at the Goulet Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. Now, we recorded last week's in advance. So, Drew and I are a little out of practice, so we're going to see how we do after being off for a week. See, should that be, implies that fun. at some point we were in practice. And, oh, that's you know, a good point. We both know point. that's not true. We need to set the expectations real low for this pencast every episode so that no one feels disappointed. Maybe disappointed in yourself for having had the disclaimer, but still watching it all the way through. Don't shame our so viewers, you only Brian. only have yourself to blame. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't shame them. I'm kidding. You're, no, no, they should not You're doing ashamed. the most you possibly can right now. There you Congratulations. go. Congratulations. There you go. No one can stop you're you. living your best life, I guess, maybe? I don't know. We'll yes, see. absolutely. Well, <laughs> in any case. I'm today, sure they're cleaning something. Uh, you know, that would be that would be actually pretty motivating. Yeah. I'll get into that later, but I have a pen cleaning adventure to talk about. Oh, boy. Eh, not so much an adventure. An update? I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot to talk about. But in today's show, we're going to talk about our opinions on pink ink, some different materials that are used for pen barrels, best pens for writing a lot, whatever that means, how to choose your ink when you have too many choices, Drew, and cake or pie, which is a long-running theme at Goulet Pens. We also have a tip of the week on using a hack on ink vials, sort of like adapting an ink sample vial into a little uh, traveling inkwell of sorts. Kind of a cool little thing that Drew discovered thanks to a helpful customer of ours. And we got a ton of personal stuff with some crazy stories to share. Drew and I have been up to some shenanigans separately, not together. But now we'll do shenanigans together. And we will start out those shenanigans with some feedback. All right. So, Brian, in episode 50, so not the previous short one, but the one before that, we talked about heat setting in one of the questions. Who, like did. where, why, when, you know. Um, yes. And it was helpful to some folks, which is yay. I appreciated hearing some of your success stories. There was more than a couple of folks who, after hearing it, actually used information on this pencast, Brian, believe it or not. That's always nice when that happens to actually information. <laughs> we actually did something beneficial. So that was extremely motivating. Thank you. Uh, and I believe most of them were with plastic feeds too, Brian. So 
Hey. Uh, very right. cool. Very right. cool. So thank you so much for sharing those success stories. If you'd like to go and check out what we did talk about, you can see that back on episode 50. I should have a little stamp in the video where you can check, uh, skip through all of the rest and find that specific question. So thank you for that. Yay. Also, we had a lot of appreciation for the last episode, episode 51, which had just Q&A and Brian's video had malfunctioned. So you just had to look at me with a still image of a very, very excited, very, very still Brian Goulet. So thank you for all of the comments, uh, appreciating that we gave something that was really kind. You didn't have to say that, but a lot of folks, Brian just said, Hey guys, we appreciate you trying, you know, thanks for not doing anything or thanks for not just scrapping it and giving us a little something just in advance. So we really appreciate that. That was really kind of you take your time to validate that. It, it's, it's, we did do those back to back one pen cast and immediately started doing that one. So it was, it was a bit much. It got kind of a little punchy. Kinda, yeah. Kind of warm in here, but you know, we still did it. And uh, we appreciate it because with that sort of feedback, it is truly our pleasure, 100% a genuine and real pleasure for us to do that. So thank you. There you go. Uh, leading right into that, Philip, Phil, Philippe, 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 Philip. I don't know how you pronounce your name. Sorry, Philippe. Um, regarding episode number 51, couldn't stop laughing looking at Brian's smile. So I'm listening to this episode as a real podcast, not looking at the image. So <laughs> it might have been a bit much for some to stare at my goofy face for the entire time. But anyway, that's what you get. Pretty much all images of me, even to this day, are I'm making some kind of dumb face. I just It's my natural reaction when a camera is pointed at me is to make silly faces. I don't know why I've done it since I was a kid. Every picture I have of me and a family, even like I have to like consciously choose not to do it. I'm taking like a whatever Easter family picture or something like that. And I have to be like, just smile like a normal person. Don't make a dumb face. And my daughter is the same way. She always makes dumb faces. So now we just do it together and it don't stick out as much. Anyway, Raven Wind says in regards to cartridge resealing, I use rubber O-rings. Cut once diagonally for easy inserting. So I guess like cutting the O-ring across so that it's not a ring anymore. Yeah, you cut it That's in half. You cut it in cut half, it in half yeah. diagonally so that mm-hmm. the uh, so it's kind of sharp. So okay. you can get it in. Um, Raven said they compress securely into my refilled cartridges without damaging the cartridges. The O-rings I use are Capri Tools 419 Metric and 407 SAE from Amazon. Buna N715 Nitrile 70 Shore, 3.5. This is a lot of stuff. 3.5 millimeters. How about I copy and paste this into the, <laughs> in the description, uh, into the notes, so that there if you, you do want to use what Raven Wind is recommending, you can do that. But uh, essentially, what they're saying is that uh, you, you can, can find an O-ring that's the right size to plug certain cartridges, and they're cheap and, and easy. Fair enough. Makes sense. Can't believe I never yeah. thought of that before, but that's yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, it's an easy one. And I guess if you have like, you know, it's like a dangly part of the O-ring coming out, it's easy to grab onto to pull it out and all that. Yeah. So the key is just finding one that's the right diameter to where it fits in there snugly enough that it'll hold, but that you can also, you know, operate it getting it in and out. Yeah. And I guess you, the, could re- you could reuse it over and over again, whereas the hot glue thing that I was a total mess demonstrating, um, you know, the rubber would 
uh, probably work a lot better. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I'd never heard of anybody using an O-ring. So yeah, I this person something. also went on in this comment to say that they were currently on a business trip and um, using a Lamy cartridge full of Liberty's Elysium. So this hey. is something they do Perfect the example. Time. Perfect yep. example of something that would not come in a cartridge. So Raven teaching us some things, which is not hard to do. Um, and then lots of kind words about my infinity cube that I welded up. I have another little welding thing that I created as well, which I'm going to be sharing later. I'm having, I'm having a good time, having a good time making stuff. And speaking of stuff, that leads us to our next segment of new stuff. All right. So some things that are new are coming soon. Um, so we have a retro 51 rollerball pen. This is the Smithsonian Panda. So they have a whole series of Smithsonian related pens. Panda is the latest one. I mean, who doesn't love pandas? So um, my kids have informed me lately that uh, I weigh more than a male adult panda. So thought that was great because they look huge, but I guess they're just really furry. But the average male panda weighs maybe 200 pounds and I weigh pretty significant amount more than that. So Well, there's that's a good thing, Brian. That's like I always worry about being attacked by a panda and it's nice to know that you can defend me against a panda. You worry about being attacked by a panda? Oh, constantly. constantly. Are you made of bamboo cuz I don't think they really attack <laughs> living like uh what's it called? I'm roughly the same Not diameter. Flora, flora and fauna. Those are wait, Flo- which is Flora is the plant. Flora's plants, fauna, yeah. That's animals? Yes. I don't think they attack fauna. I I know. I'm not actually I was thinking one was trees and one was flowers, but no, I guess flora is all plant things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. No, I'm not actually afraid of pandas. I just uh I'm trying to make you feel better about um having having the, you know, the, the structure to defend against a uh a herbivore bear. I mean, <laughs> Thank you. It's very reassuring. <laughs> it's what keeps me up at night. I trust me. Um, also, you know, related to Retro 51. So we ha- did, I, I don't know where we're going to be at on Friday by the time this publishes, but we're, we're just about out of our fire and dice pencils, um, which we had originally ordered some. We ordered up and then we continued to have people who wanted more of them. So they went very quickly. We're Debating about, I mean, honestly, we don't sell pencils, right? Like this is not really what we do on a regular basis. I think the last pencil that we sold was a Twisby pencil that was like seven years ago or something. So we have no data on what kind of demand there is for a pencil of any kind at Gilly Pens. So we really had no idea. Um, But we have to order these and then it takes a couple of months for it to come in. So we ordered and then they came in and more people signed up for the email list by the time they arrived and they all went very quickly. So we can theoretically order more of them. We're open to that. I don't know, Drew, do you think like this might be just one of those designs that is a little more timeless? Because, you know, we've designed like popper style exclusive retro pens before and it's like retro is always very hit or miss for us. So it's either like total gangbusters, it sells out immediately and then we reorder or it's like we're sitting on them forever and it's total dry. So, I mean, we never really know, but it seems like this design might stand the test of time a little bit. So we would love y'all's feedback on it. If you want to let us know in the comments, should we order more of these pencils? Basically, did you all not get a chance to order them? Are you like, no, well, I got one and that's fine or whatever. You know, the lead is a interesting size. It's a kind of an unconventional size. It's a fat lead. It's what, like 1.3 millimeter or something like that? I don't recall what it is, but I believe it comes with extra. 1.2. Yeah, but it's, 
it's not an easy lead size to find. It's a kind of kind of a proprietary. I mean, from the people that I know that are especially that are gamers and that like use pencils kind of for this purpose of like the role play fantasy type stuff, which the pen was themed after. Um, a lot of them like the thicker lead. Uh, and so I think it is actually a good, it's a good product, but it's just like not the easiest lead to find. And because we don't really, we didn't really know that we don't sell a lot of pencils. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions that we still have, which is why we didn't like go totally nuts on, on getting this pencil. Cause we had no idea, but we're very open to it. If y'all like it, let us know in the comments and we will order more. Um, yeah. And that's what I got today, Drew. And then you got some stuff. I've got a crazy thing, Brian, a very, very crazy Ooh. thing. Okay. So. It's been a while since we've had a big over-the-top pen from Monte Grappa. Mm. We had the Lord of the Rings pen. We mm-hmm. then had the Queen, Queen. and yep. the mm-hmm. uh, Game so of Thrones pen. There's the moon landing, one, the moon landing pen. That was another Moon landing. That was the first one. That's yeah. right. Yeah, we had the moon landing pen. So now we have a pen that is themed after the 2022 film The Batman. And it is a pen. It is something else. <laughs> I've never seen a pen quite is like this. Is it a pen? This. It seems more like a, like a. a it has knight, a nib, a, knight, a nightstick. You know, it's it like has, this, it has it's a like nib. A it definitely seems. It, it it's probably the most aggressive pen I've ever held in my hand. It is very aggressive, and it feels dangerous. It feels like I'm holding some <laughs> sort of weapon. Like if you drop but, it on your toe, you might have to like. Go to the oh, for sure. Room. No, you'd be in. You'd be in some pain. <laughs> But it is a fascinating pen to look at. The photos look really, really interesting. So we'll put a photo up here, obviously. But I encourage you, just check this thing out. It's unlike anything you've probably ever seen before. So it's got some theming uh, that's closely tied to the Batman film. His gauntlets specifically have these metal rod things that are on there. And that's reflected in the cap. It has Batman's profile of his head right on the nib itself. It is over the top, very Montegrappa, but uh, it's about what you'd expect if, if you were <laughs> if you were told that there's a seven thousand dollar Batman pen from Montegrappa. This is hopefully meeting your expectations as to what that should be. So it's have you, there. Have you seen we this? have it for sale. Have you so. seen this movie, Drew? Have you seen, you must have I have. It. I have. I saw okay. it um, during one of our mental health half days, actually. Right. So thank that's you for right. that. You're welcome. Yeah, that's cool. It was, a, it was a good film. I will say that it's probably mm. objectively the finest Batman film. And I say the word finest and mm. film very intentionally because mm. I don't think it's the best Batman movie. Mm. but the finest Batman film. So, so I'm did, just, I'm, I'm self-defining like it. Okay. I'm going to avoid, I'm going to avoid going down this rabbit hole. Cause I know yeah. we could go on about that for a bit, I could. but it's a I bit early in the, it's a bit early in the pen cast to go off the right. rails. We'll hold off a bit. Okay. Um, uh, finally, we have a new roarer and cleaner ink, Brian. This is a special edition mm. ink for 2022 and it is called deep pine forest. It's a beautiful, beautiful dark green. So nice. Um, it's limited. Definitely worth worth checking out. Roar and Cleaner make fantastic ink, and mm-hmm. they have Very stood well the behaved. test of time. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely mm-hmm. great ink, and I really like this color. It's nothing over the top, but it is solid, pretty, and predictable, and sometimes that is exactly what you need. Greens can really be hit or miss for me, like green ink colors. Pen colors, too, but ink colors, it's like if it's the wrong green, I'm like repulsed by it, and I don't ever want to use it. But if it's the right green, especially ones in like this forest green type of color, they use This one is very good. It's a very yeah. good foresty representation. Feels I think like a, anybody very, who yeah. sees the name is going to like it. Yeah, I feel like it's a great work. Like it falls into that like work, work appropriate ink category. And mm-hmm. it's dark enough. It's it's 
saturated enough to where it would not like stick out, but it, it does look very interesting. So I think it would be great for that kind of use. I agree. Not a color I would get sick of looking at a lot. Very nah. pleasant. All right, cool. All right, well, now to some actual content here with our Q&A. Here we go. All right, Brian, this was an interesting one, and I gave this to you specifically because I have zero knowledge on this topic, and this topic is from Noah C. Tench, and Noah asks, opinions on pink inks? With two question marks, I noticed. Do you have opinions on pink inks? Sure. Great. I, I wouldn't call myself like a pink ink aficionado, but I think I have enough to share that makes this an answerable question. Um, my question for you, though, is this fall into like the yellow ink category for you? Is it just like an overlooked, like just group in general? Okay. 100%. And I am, and I, I at the end of this, I'm going to need some suggestions. Because are you gonna, right now, yeah, I was going to say, like, are you What wanting... I want to do, I will tell you this, Brian. My goal is to create, after I did that, like, I did my top 15 favorite video games of all time, I want to ha- have a list okay. that I actually put up in my office somewhere that has my number one favorite colors of each color. Black, blue, green, teal, purple, everything. Uh, and I want a pink and I want a yellow. So I want to have a a... a pantheon of like greatest colors that i can just tell people that's my favorite blue that's my favorite green that's my favorite red purple you know i I want that and i need a pink so i need to be on a quest for a pink the greatest pink there is so what is that brian well i'll i'm gonna i'm gonna cover a little bit of just some of like the basics of kind of the ranges of pinks you can get and then i can name some specific colors okay um because they do they do range a little bit just like any ink color would Sure. Um, you know, pink is actually a, a surprisingly popular uh, fountain pen ink color. Uh, I think that generally mm-hmm. speaking, you get a range of things from like the darker magentas, more of the pinks with like some heavy purple to them. Uh, very saturated, that kind of thing. You can even get a little bit of sheen in there too. Um, those tend to be, I think, on the slightly more popular side, especially for kind of like everyday writing. So, you know, people who are writing with the pens a lot, you know, again, more saturated colors tend to be a little more favorable anyway for most people because it's just easier to read. It's easier to see very vibrant colors. You know, the pinks, the pinks can get pretty darn vibrant. So, um, you know, those who are looking for, I don't know, more interesting, more exciting ink colors, pinks have a lot to offer in that way. So I, I tend to like more of the magenta side of the pinks. Um, the deeper colors that have a lot of purple to them. Um, going from that, you can range into like lighter pinks that go a little more red, maybe even a little more orange, like a coral or a salmon kind of a color. You know, so those you get, generally speaking, they're less saturated, a lot more shading, um, not so much sheen with those ones. Um, but those, uh, I think, you know, while they can be used for writing, they tend to look a little more washed out. So it might be to some people's liking, but, you know, get a little more of a pastel kind of effect with those types of colors. Um, but where I know that those ones are a little more popular is with people who use them for artistic purposes. So sketching, ink washing, urban sketching, that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of the lighter pinks tend to be a little more popular in that group. So not that the magentas wouldn't be as popular, but sometimes they can just be so overpowering. And, you know, there's, if you're doing a lot of sketching, especially of natural environments, there's not as many like 
deep magenta colors in nature, unless you're doing maybe flowers or something. Um, so I think some of the pastels tend to be a little more subdued and a little more popular kind of for those artistic purposes. Plus with the washing, you can, you can really kind of pull, um, you know, some of the, some of the hues and kind of shade them easier and it doesn't totally dominate your picture. So, um, I don't do a lot of the sketching artistic kind of stuff. That's just kind of what I've observed from other people that are using them. So, um, again, those are, you know, maybe not as, not as popular, just looking at like our overall sales and the number of ink offerings and stuff. It's definitely heavier on the more magenta side. So, um, actually the, probably the best thing is if you just go to our website, you look at all fountain pen inks, you can filter by pinks and then it'll default to best selling. And that just tells you like, what's the most popular, uh, ink colors that are out there. So, I know Rachel's personal favorite and the one that she uses all the time, and I've cleaned many of her pens that have had this ink in it, is Pilot Hiroshizuku Yamabudo. Oh, yeah. Great, great color, super popular, well-behaved, um, and uh, you, you can actually get some decent shading with that too. A um, little more on the purple side, you get Noodler's Cactus Fruit American Eel. That's a longstanding classic in their lineup as well. Um, another Roshizuku Sutsuji. So this one is a lighter pink color than Yamabudo, a little less of a purple to it. Um, so if you're looking for something more of a, I'll call it like a true pink, the Sutsuji would be a good alternative. Uh, if you want something very punchy, <laughs> Diamine Hope Pink uh, can definitely get you there. It's very bright. Um, and then there's some shimmering stuff too, like Diamine Pink Glitz. That tends to be a pretty popular pink shimmer. It's got a shimmer, like a, a I believe it's a gold shimmer in it. Um, so that is pretty popular too. Um, there's Pilot Roshizuku Momiji. That's really more of a red. So if you're looking for something that leans very heavy on the red, uh, you could almost classify that more as a red than a pink, but it falls right in there. Um, and again, a lot of these are Roshizuku colors because they actually have several good, you know, kind of pinky type of colors and they are quite popular too. So, um, Roshizuku Kosumosu. Also pretty popular. That one is a little more pastel, much paler, like a paler version of um, Sutsuji. So you get a good range there. Um, Diatramentus Apple Blossom too. That one, it's uh, got a little bit more of a plum hue to it. So a little little more desaturated in color, a little darker, not quite as bright pink, but more of a, I don't know, like an aged pink, if that makes any sense. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, if you want something that's like punch your eyes, magenta, um, Urban Rose Cyclamen. That is a very bright, very well-behaved ink as well. Um, and then totally on the other end of the spectrum, I think like the iconic pale pink that's out there is Urban Rui Donc. It's Rusty Anchor. So that ink, it's got a, it's got a fan following. I understand it conceptually but that there's just nothing about that ink that appeals to me personally but i do it shades like a mother and it's just um <laughs> it's a very appealing for those that are looking for that color so definitely check that one out if you're looking for i mean it rusty anchor like it really does have a, it's pretty descriptive as to what that color would look like um noodler saguaro wine that's another deep that's like a uh, yamabudo-esque color, maybe with a little bit more magenta to it, even than that one. Um, you get Diamine Coral. That's like a true kind of pure coral uh, in there. That's very, a lot of orange to that color as well. Um, and then if you want another good shimmering ink, because I think some people who are getting these paintings, they, the shimmer does add kind of a cool element to it. 
Um, Robert Oster, they have a ton of great shimmers. The the Rose uh, Gilt, what is that one called? Tine, tint. Tint, yeah, that's what it is. T-Y-N-T-E. <laughs> Rose Gilt Tint. Very confusing. Just look at that page and you'll see it. Um, very cool. That, that one's a more of a pale pink that has some shimmer to it as well, more of a subtle shimmer. So, um, yeah, and then there's just, there's all kinds of other ones that kind of fall into these kind of similar buckets. Um, but You're uh, going to make I me find a lot, of, a lot of images for this, Brian. Yeah, I'm really sorry. But if you just, you know, <laughs> maybe we can just do some, like, B-roll scrolling through the <laughs> the ink page and it can save you some time. But um, I'm trying to give a good range because, honestly, some of these can look vastly different from each other. It's not unlike any ink color, I guess, but... Well, that was one problem that I was having with yellow. When Mm. I was talking about yellow with my friends in the comments here, there were a lot of inks that were getting brought up that were then said that uh, by someone else that they were actually orange and not yellow. And that's easy to say because true yellows are barely, barely visible. So yeah, I mean, it it makes me wonder what is a true pink and where does the line end between magenta and pink or orange and pink? I want something when I when I'm thinking about this kind of list that I want to do. Right. I'm thinking I want a true yellow, a true pink, a true blue, true red, nothing in between. I want like the best representation of each of like the main colors, you know. I if guess. they were gonna, if they, if if all of the pinks were gonna get together and elect a president of the pinks, like who would they elect president? Who are they gonna say like you were the best of us, man? You, you represent everything that is fine about our faction. We want you to go and represent. You know, that's there's got it. So I, I'm thinking something more on the hot pink side is is what I want. So you mentioned uh, hope pink, and I think that might be. That's a that's bright. Be, that, that's a bright that, one. That one. That one gonna, falls into like what I would call the hot pink. Yeah. That's like a pretty classic. I think that's hot what I want. Color. I think that's what I want. Then hot pink would be a good one for you. Okay. That one's pretty. That one's pretty punchy, and it doesn't have a lot. And that's the thing is like, okay, if you wanna if you wanna be a purist about pink and you don't wanna and you wanna separate out magenta from pink, I think it gets more complicated. What we do on our site is we put magenta and pink all in the same category because it is such a blurry line between. But don't the two. we also do that with purple? Don't we also put magenta with purple as well? Some of website? them, some of them, there may like be, Yamabuda you know, would be in with the purples for sure. I think so. I'd have to check the site actually because yeah. I don't know. We we do well, have to make judgment calls about these yeah, things. Yeah, and that makes sense. That makes well, sense. It's a little different too because on our site we have to put things if we know that some people consider using Yamabuto as an example. Some people consider that more of a magenta. Some people consider it more of a purple. We'll put it in both places because we want people to easily be able to find it. Right. So we're not trying to make some kind of statement about what it is. We're trying to make Mm -hmm. it an easily navigable product on our website. So that's more how we would classify it. But also there is some overlap because we're not trying to be like purists about defining a color. We're trying to make it easy to find. So we put it in wherever it would most logically you know, kind of fall in people's minds. Well, please let me know if any of you out there have a favorite pink, like a true, true pink that is just the epitome of pink. That is what I want to try. I want to kind of try a bunch of pinks. I'd I think probably do probably do what I did with the yellows and just write with nothing but top three pink inks for a couple of weeks and see. Hiroshizuka Ir- Sutsuji, Drew, would be one that I would. It's not as quite as bright as Hope Pink, but I would say that's a pretty pure pink too. I recently wrote with uh, Cherry Blossom, uh, Robert Oster Cherry Blossom. And that was nice, but not as pink as I want. Yeah, that's a little darker. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's just so hard because it depends how you define it. You know, you know how it goes, but I want like that. I don't, it's out of frame for me. I can't the, see the, that, my, our, our neon. I mean, that's neon, Drew. That's a, yeah. that's a light. You can't, you can't compare that necessarily. It's a different. That's what it's, I want. It's backlit. You're not going to get an ink that's backlit. <laughs> I want that vibrance though, Brian. That's what I'm saying. I want that right, liveliness. Right. I want that energy. All right, fair enough. Well, yes. you got you got a good got a good starting point here. I want so. like a laser beam yeah. on my paper. There you go. Well, hopefully we get some more comments too for those who are, are pinking fans. Uh, the thing I will say, generally speaking, pinks more so on the magenta side. It seems that whatever dyes they use to get those colors, they're a little clingier. They're a little more maintenance to clean out of your pen, especially if you leave them in the pens for a long time. Not that I would be speaking from experience on this one. <gasps> hint, hint. Mm-hmm. Rachel doesn't like to clean her pens and I put them off as long as possible. So many of her pens with Yamabudo have waited their turn to get cleaned and then it takes some doing. So I'm very good at disassembling Rachel's pens um, when it comes time for cleaning. So, <laughs> I mean, Yamabudo is a pretty well-behaved color, but I think just as a blanket statement with uh, this dye family, the more the magenta and those like purples and stuff, um, they tend to be ones, especially in demonstrators, uh, they tend to be ones that like to leave just a little, a little kiss of pink on those demonstrators as you clean them out, and to get them to be flawlessly cleaned takes a little extra effort. But so just be aware of that as you know, or just don't use them in a demonstrator, and then you can be perfectly happy and be on your merry way. All right, next question we have is from Gazdag Victor. Can you tell us about the different barrel materials, please? Yurushi, rodden, pearl, acrylic, etc. Never heard of etc. as a material color. That sounds interesting. It's rare. It's rare. They don't make it anymore. Mm, okay. Very cool. So, Gazdag, I will try to keep this short because this is a very, very big question. And you're covering a lot of bases here. <laughs> but first things first, some of these things you mentioned are, in fact, barrel materials. And some things are not barrel materials, uh, in fact. So barrel materials like acrylic, you mentioned that, um, or uh, yeah, you mentioned acrylic. That is a barrel material. You can make a pen out of acrylic. It's a type of plastic for sure. Uh, but they're different than urushi or rotten. So uh, barrel materials, as far as fountain pens go, are usually the, a plastic or a metal like brass or aluminum. Resin whether it's resin, acrylic, plastic, you could, you could, we could go way in depth with like the types of resin or the types of acrylic. We're not doing that. There are plastic pens and there are many, many different variations of various quality and cost associated with that type of acrylic or plastic, but more or less it's plastic. If you see acrylic, it's plastic. Um, less commonly used barrel materials are sometimes ebonite or celluloid. Both of these were traditionally used more so years ago, not so much now. You still can find both. Uh, they're not really making celluloid anymore. There is, There are some fountain pen companies that have a stockpile of this that can still manufacture celluloid, but they're not really making the material anymore. And I say not really, because as far as I know, they're not at all, but I'm leaving some room because who knows, maybe somebody is, I don't know. As far as I know, no one's making it. Yeah, certainly well out of favor. And you're talking like the traditional pen celluloid is the nitrocelluloid. That's like the right. stuff they made out of old films and they used to make ping pong balls out of it. They don't anymore. The like green, like banker's hats, yeah. you know, like that was, it was like the original, it was like the original, 
plastic. Yeah. It's not really plastic. It's made from cellulose. It's a mm-hmm. you know natural material. But uh, that's what you saw in movies and stuff. When you saw something that you're like, wait a second, did they have plastic back then? It was probably celluloid. Yeah. But nowadays yeah. there are like cellulose butyrate and some other celluloid derivatives that's not the nitrocellulose, like the celluloid right. that's typically talked about in vintage pens. The Most of the celluloid now is some other derivative of it. Again, like Drew said, there's like a lot of different formulations of resin, aka plastics, and which names they're given. They yeah. can be just very slightly different from each other, but they any of these can be used in pens. Yeah, and ebonite is a hard rubber, so it feels kind of like plasticky, but it's a lightweight, very durable material, but essentially it is uh, not plastic. It is a hard rubber. So as far as barrel materials go, it's pretty much those. It's either a form of plastic or a form of metal, generally, sometimes ebonite, sometimes celluloid. Um, In regards to urushi, rodin, and pearl, which Gazdag mentioned, those are somewhat all in the same uh, family. Urushi is a clear or colored durable coating that's put on the barrel. It's not actually a barrel material. It's like a barrel coating or a decorative finish. So that uh, involves using commonly centuries-old technique of layering and layering and layering. layering. This can be done. Usually it is a Western thing, uh, Vietnam, China, Japan, Korea. Eastern. Eastern. Eastern, Sorry, not a Western thing. Opposite of what I just said. There are some people in the States that do it. Very, very few. Traditionally, though, it culturally, comes from, yeah, it comes it comes from, from the East. Yep. East, yeah. So you also mentioned rodden and pearl. When it comes to Urushi design, they're one and the same thing. Rodden is the art form, the style of using pearl, mother of pearl, uh, um, abalone uh, shell, abalone shell mm-hmm. to get those inlays, those nice, shiny, shimmery, beautiful flakes inlaid into the layers of Urushi lacquer to create just shiny loveliness or designs or patterns. Mm-hmm. So uh, they also sometimes employ uh, eggshell to do those same designs, or they just use colored urushi to create uh, paintings, essentially. And, you know, they layer those as well to actually create art using the pen as a canvas. And again, that's built up layers upon layers many, many times. Sometimes they don't use paintings. They just build up layers to create a texture. We have a pilot pen called the Ishime, which employs something like that that makes it look kind of like a sidewalk, like cobblestones. So uh, we have a video on uh, that Brian did on uh, Namiki pens, and there's also an unboxing video that I can link here uh, or in the product description. So I'll put some extra videos down there. That'll tell you a lot more of this in detail because it is a big, big topic, but definitely one that if you're curious about, please look into it because it is astounding how these pens are made, the level of detail they are made with, and the level of passion that goes into making such a pen. These pens are not made to be super profitable, really. Like the Arushi pens and anything that employs a lot of these techniques are not really money-making materials. They are generally made out of passion and a respect for tradition. And owning one is something very, very different, very, very special that... uh, knowing what goes into making them will definitely open your eyes if you're not already familiar with the process. Definitely worth checking out for sure. Yeah. That's my Um, short version. That's good. That's good. Because if you had asked me that question, we'd be deep diving so hard right now. I I specifically gave this one to me, yeah. And and I'm not going to go much deeper. I just wanted to add a little bit of my two cents here. So I think Drew Drew did a great job describing here the difference between like a barrel material, which is essentially like the underlying 
like functional material that's used for the barrel and then whatever the finishing is for that. Now, certainly you can have some pens that the the material itself is also the finishing. So you can have like a solid resin material, right? So think like Edison pens, you know, Franklin Kristoff, these types of pens, they're just, they're just resin straight through and through. Um, and that's totally fine. There's no additional type of coating on them. You're just polishing the resin. Um, you can have pens like the Traveler's brass pen. It's a brass barrel. It's a, you use a polished brass coating and not coating, polished brass exterior. You're, you're holding the actual barrel of the pen. But other pens, you will have things like, you know, think of like a Lamy All-Star. Well, that's an aluminum pen, but it's got a colored, you know, either anodization or a lacquer coating, you know, that is, uh, that one's anodized, but like other pens have lacquer coatings. Think about like the Pilot Vanishing Point. That's got a brass barrel, but it's got a lacquered colored coating on top, you know, so you're actually touching the lacquer. So, you know, it's not always super evident which material is the underlying material of the pen. Usually you're obviously seeing what the finish of the pen is. That's what you're seeing first because it's on the outside, right? Um, so there is, you know, if the material itself is, kind of spectacular and is the draw for the pen, you know, so you have like a raw brass or a raw copper pen. Usually they will leave those unfinished because the material itself is what is appealing about those pens. Think about like Kuwaiko's done this with their like all sports and things like that. You want the solidness of that material to be what you see and what you touch. Um, other pens, you know, it's more about having the, the coatings on them. Um, and if you're trying to get different effects, I'm thinking like the, the, um, um, Diplomat has the arrow. So that pen is made of aluminum, but it's anodized in its coating. Um, can be different colors. But their flame arrow is, you know, you can't flame aluminum. Um, so those are actually steel. And then they flame the steel. So it's a specific technique that has a reaction to the steel. So that's why it has to be a different material. So sometimes the material can dictate what the pen, you know, has to be made of in order for the effects that they're going for. Um, but, uh, you know, the two cents I wanted to add about the Yurushi is that you can actually do a Yurushi coating on top of different materials. Um, I believe that ebonite is the most common. It's the, it's, it's the more traditional and it's the, um, you know, it's pretty stable material for accepting, uh, Yurushi, but, um, some of the less expensive, like the pilot or the, um, the platinum, uh, like modern maquillers, those are, um, plastic barrels with um, some Irushi lacquer on them. You have the um, um, some versions of the Pilot uh, Nippon Art. Um, the oh, sorry, the Namiki Nippon Art. Um, those are plastic barrels. Uh, other ones that are a little more expensive are brass barrels. And then you get into some of the more expensive. There's some of like the Yukari uh, Royales. Um, are often brass barrels, but then you get into the emperors, they're ebonite. So a lot of these materials can be different depending on what the design of the pen and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, a coating like Yurushi or lacquer or whatever um, can go over top of a number of different types of materials. So, um, you know, it, you dive into these things and it's like if the underlying material matters to you, maybe not. I think most people probably care more what the pen looks like or maybe how heavy it is. So, you know, thinking about like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, one last thing and then I'm getting off this topic, but um, thinking about the pilot vanishing point versus the decimo. So the decimo is a little bit thinner, that's true, which is part of why it weighs a little bit less, but it also has an aluminum barrel instead of a brass barrel like the vanishing point has. So that also 
contributes to the lighter feel. So um, a lot of times pen companies can use different materials in some of the unseen components of the pen to add weight, shift weight, change the balance, you know, whatever they want to do. Um, and it's kind of interesting when you really get into it, but it's not always like, I mean, you would have to deconstruct the whole pen and get into every component of it to really disclose all this type of stuff. And it's not something most people really care about. Um, but anyway, that's just some like deeper dive knowledge into maybe what makes up some of these and why manufacturers will change them up. So there you go. That's it. I'm out. There you go. Yeah. The emperor (laughs) would be quite unwieldy if it were not made of ebonite if it were made of brass <laughs> made of brass or would copper be, that would be yeah. so heavy it would be like That'd that be too much it'd be like the batman pen that's yeah. what it would feel like <laughs> all right we got another question from yeah. gear bakewell and a nice, gear a nice, bakewell a nice clear asks, and easy easy one to answer yeah 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 so this is an easy one for you brian mm-hmm. B- best pens for writing a lot writing a lot Okay. Uh, I was, I took, I took this as meaning like long sessions. Okay. Um, I would say fountain pens are the best pens for writing writing a lot. No, seriously though. I mean, okay. If if ever there was an, it depends answer, it would be for a question like this. Um, generally speaking, I don't think anybody's emailing us asking for rollerball or ballpoint information, Brian. I don't know, Drew. It just says best pens. It wasn't contexted to be fountain pens. I'm just saying. Technically, our site is gulepens.com. It's not Is Goulet that how we're starting pens. this? I'm, I'm just going off the context that I have here. No, no, no. I'm, oh, I'm kidding. This is already geez. a deep enough dive answer, so I'm going to try and <laughs> oh, no. move it along okay. a little bit. Um, really, any pen can be used for writing a lot. You know, but I think that in general, as a whole classification, fountain pens as a whole are the best pens for writing a lot as a group. So obviously, I'm a little bit biased. But I personally had sort of a conversion experience when I discovered fountain pens for the first time at age 25. I had used things like the Pilot Precise V5 and I'd use, you know, different rollerball pens that felt very fluid and felt like they were a great writing experience. But when I used a fountain pen for the first time, I was like, whoa, this is another level. This is a whole other league. And basically pretty much any fountain pen I've used that hasn't been like like damaged, like scratching the paper, but like any, any, any marginally functional fountain pen to me has pretty much felt better than any rollerball or ballpoint, no matter how good. So for me, I would, as a blanket statement, say like pretty much any fountain pen, you're going to be in the camp of best pens for writing a lot. Now that said, we're a fountain pen company and we need to splice it up a little bit deeper than this. But if you're new to this, fountain pens are great and you should buy them anyway. So um, where do I want to go from here? I think that before I talk about specific pens, which I will, I got to talk a little bit about if you're writing a lot, the pen does make a difference, but I think it's also very important to understand maybe what makes writing a lot more comfortable. And a lot of it has nothing to do with the actual pen. It has to do with your posture and the way that you're writing. So one of the best ways that this has ever been described I've heard uh, that I've read has been from Michael Soule's book. He's a master penman. It's called The Art of Cursive Penmanship. Yes, we sell it, but I'm even if we didn't, I'm a big fan of this book because it's such a wealth of knowledge, not only for handwriting drills and actually learning cursive, but he has this whole section of just pages and pages and pages of history and writing posture and all these kinds of things. It gives so much fascinating context to 
basically how writing, you know, came to be and how handwriting has influenced, you know, a lot of parts of history and all kinds of stuff. So in there, he really breaks it down and talks about, um, you know, why your why posture and why practice and things like that are important for if you're going to be writing a lot, which at the time of, you know, early 1900s, mid 1900s, you know, writing was, uh, I guess you had the typewriter, but writing in terms of like the everyday person kind of portable instrument, writing was something that you did a lot. And if you needed to write a lot, you needed to do it properly and condition it well, just like if you're walking a lot, or if you're doing some, you know, working a physical job, you need to have, you know, the proper way to move it so you don't hurt your muscles and get sore and tired and all these types of things. It's not unlike that for writing. And I think if you are intending to write a lot, whether it's for just like a long writing session without getting exhausted, or you plan to write just very, very frequently, knowing how to do it properly is the most important thing, no matter which writing instrument you use, even if it's not a fountain pen, which it should be, you know, your posture does matter a lot. So just so I can break it down very conceptually here, a lot of people, when they're writing with pens, especially if they grew up with pencils or ballpoints, you're used to having to essentially fight your writing instrument, have a lot of friction, have a lot of pressure that you use. So there's a lot of focus on writing with your fingers. And your your fingers have a lot of dexterity to them, but there's not a lot of room in your fingers, so your muscles are all very tiny inside your fingers or ligaments, you or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, there's no muscles. Whatever. I'm using muscles as a broad term, but the ligaments and things that you use to give your dexterity, they're not very strong. So they weaken very easily. Your hands get sore. So when you're writing a lot with your fingers, you're going to get sore really easily. So that's kind of a base thing. If you're writing with your wrist, okay, your wrists, there's a lot more meat to it there. So you're writing more with your wrists. That's better than just writing with your fingers. If you can also incorporate your elbow, that's even better because your elbow isn't even got even more meat to it. And then if you can incorporate your shoulder too. So what he talks about in his book is when you're sitting, sitting at a desk that's at proper height, maybe with a slight slope to it, but your arm should be hanging down elbow about 90 degrees. And when you write, you should be like resting your wrist on, on your desk, but you should not be using your wrist like as a pivot point while you're writing with your fingers. You want to be using basically your whole arm and use a combination of all of these different joints to do your writing. Now, this is like, you know, kind of old, old world writing. You would have like handwriting drills in school that, you know, was like torture for children. But basically, it's like anything else. It's like if you want to get good at doing something, you need to do it more and you need to practice and build up the muscle memory, build up the dexterity, build up the practice. So when you write in that proper posture, there's a couple things that are happening. One of them is you're getting the muscle memory of writing with using all these different parts of your arm and not just your fingers. But also you are building up the fine motor skills in some of these larger muscles. So right now, if you've never really written with your whole arm and you're trying to use your shoulder to control your arm in writing small letters, it's going to look pretty weird because you don't have that much fine control. As you practice more, you're going to get more fine control. And when you're using more of the larger muscles to do your writing, your larger muscles can go longer. You have more endurance. So the better, if you do nothing else, just try to think more consciously as you're writing of trying to incorporate your fingers, wrist, elbow, and shoulder as much as possible. And the better you're able to do that and incorporate all those, the longer you're going to be able to write no matter which writing instrument it is. So that was kind of interesting. I'd never really heard anybody explain it 
to that detail, but Michael Soule really breaks it down and even more so in his book. So just think about that. If you're sitting there writing in your bed, in your journal, your arms tucked by your side and your wrist is all cockeyed and you're writing with your fingers, you're going to get really tired really quick. That's not the good posture, no matter which writing instrument, to write in for a long writing period. So sitting at a proper you know, desk and writing in a proper posture where you're relaxed and free and able to move that. And the more you can practice and do it regularly, the longer you're going to be able to go. Now, that said, um, when you were talking about actual products, um, I think that generally speaking, pens with a, I was trying to think about this. I think it's like a lower size to weight ratio. Tell me if this makes any sense, Drew. But you want a pen that's, that's bigger, that doesn't weigh a lot right? So like the larger, the diameter, the grip, but it, but it's not a real heavy pen that tends to be something that's better for long writing. And this is especially something that we hear about for people with arthritic hands or people that have carpal tunnel or anything that still want to write something that doesn't feel as like taxing on their hands. I think they're, you know, people with like physical conditions like that are the most sensitive to, you know, any type of overworking of their hands. Um, going off those principles, is, is better for everybody too, because, you know, just because it doesn't hurt you as much as it may be, if, if somebody has arthritis as an example, it's still a good practice for you to, to do some of those same things. Cause you're just, you're taxing your hand less too. Um, so I think that, you know, generally speaking, going with pens that, um, are not as heavy, even though they, some of those pens can feel really good. They're cool to carry around, but if you're writing for a long period of time, it's just that much more to have to control. It's that much more to have to hold and carry around in your hand as you're writing and move. Your hand's going to get more tired. So something lighter weight and something larger, because I think when we have something smaller and thinner, we tend to just naturally want to grip it tighter so that we keep control of it. The rotation is going to be more sensitive. You just have a little less fine control. Whereas if you have a larger diameter of it's really the diameter of the grip that I think matters the most, but then just overall the size of the pen too, um, you know, can give you uh, a little bit more control and can be less taxing on your hand, but it's got to not weigh a ton, which is where the balance kind of falls. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, let's see here. What did I write in terms of, I went further down. Um, yeah. So as a general rule, pens that I, I think if you're just looking so many of these pens, it's, it's so subject to preference. Um, but I think that pens that are maybe under 30 grams, I think is a good place to start, especially the body of the pen. Maybe if you can get the body of the pen under 20 grams, that's even better. Um, that's a pretty good weight maybe to shoot for um, if you're going to be writing for a long period of time. Um, not worried so much about the length of the pen or anything like that, um, but the weight, overall weight, um, and then the diameter grip, maybe going with something nine millimeters or more, um, would, would tend to be, you know, more comfortable. Certainly people can write with pens thinner than that for longer times and stuff like that. But I think if you're going for a good place to start looking for going for pens that have, you know, less than 30 grams, especially in the body and nine millimeter diameter grip or more, then you're going to get a good like kind of weight to size ratio there. Um, there are other factors too, like the the type of nib that it has. Um, I think if you have something with a flex nib or something with some other kind of specialty nib, those are generally not as ideal for longer writing sessions because they just require a lot more control. They require, you know, again, more probably movement with your fingers, your, your fine 
your fine, you know, muscles, ligaments, whatever they are, um, you know, those are going to be a little more taxing. So if you're writing for a long time with flex and having to also add that dimension of writing pressure to your writing, it's going to be more taxing. So, you know, stubs, you know, it's up for debate for me. I think stubs, you have to be a little more disciplined about your rotation in the hand, which could be more taxing for some folks. Others, it doesn't bother as much. So maybe if you try it out, see if it works for you. But if you find that it's taxing, try going away from a stub and see if that helps. Um, because I think a lot of people that, that tends to be better. And then just in general, I think pens with like medium and broad nibs um, tend to be, you know, they just glide a little smoother. There's a little less friction. The ink comes out easier. You don't maybe have as much of a tendency to push down uh, than you would with an extra fine or a fine. You know, it's just, it's going to glide smoother. It's really up to preference on that one too. I think you'd probably be fine with most fine nibs as well. Um, in terms of friction and stuff like that. But, you know, if you go from an extra fine to a broad, it's going to be a pretty big difference over a long period of time and how, um, how taxing that might feel on your hand. Um, getting away from like just the specific, um, uh, like hand impact that it might have. I think there are some preferences people have for writing for, you know, a long period of time in terms of ink capacity, um, some people, it doesn't matter at all because they like to change their ink colors all the time. Again, this is like totally preference, but other people generally like to stick with one ink and they like to write for a long period of time, especially if you're writing, you know, a, a short story or a novel, or, you know, you're writing in, in class or something like that. And you don't basically want to break your rhythm and have to think about your ink. A larger ink capacity might be better. So going to something like a piston or vacuum, you know, something with a milliliter of ink or more. Um, is going to be probably more preferable. It's not necessarily for everybody, but it's a good place to, you know, kind of start and, and think about that. Um, you know, just because that tends tends to be that something that people want higher ink capacities if they're writing a lot. Um, again, not for everybody. Your, your typical cartridge converter, like standard international pen, is going to be about half a milliliter. So if you're going with a piston that's at least a full milliliter, you're getting, you know, pretty significant, um, you know, length uh, of time difference before you have to change your ink. And those are like sort of some of the things. So some specific pens, you know, it really varies a lot. But I know that pens like the Edison Collier. That's one that comes up a lot, especially with the arthritic folks. Um, That's a really big pen that really is really, really light. And it's got a very comfortable grip. Just the contour of the grip is comfortable for a lot of folks. So that's a good one. I think, honestly, pretty much all of the Pilot Custom Series pens are really good about this. None of them are super heavy. Um, they're all pretty good size. Um, the 823 probably stands out. That one gets a little heavier because of the mechanism, but it's also got a huge ink capacity. I'm a big fan of the Custom 74, but really the 912, any of them, they're fairly good size pens for with a pretty low weight ratio. And the nibs are very smooth, very comfortable, very reliable. So I think all those are good. Um, Sailor pens too. Again, reliable nibs, a little toothier nibs on those ones than the Pilots, but pretty much all of the sizes of pilot pens, like, I mean, sorry, the sailor pens. Um, we hear really good things about people using them for pretty much any extended period of time. Um, so those are good. Um, those are all, you know, those all get up there in price cause we're talking all gold nibs on those ones. Uh, the pilot and sailor ones. So if you wanted something a little more economical, Twisbees are talked about a lot. They're piston pens, the eco 580, the VAC 700 are, those are all, um, pretty popular, especially like the Ecos and 580s for, you know, students and teachers and stuff who are, you know, wanting something where they can see their incapacity. It's a big incapacity. It's not such a valuable pen that you're like completely out if you lose it or break it or whatever. Um, you know, and it kind of meets all these criteria. 
Um, I think there's a number of pens like the Lamy 2000, Pilot Vanishing Point, things like this that are, you know, that are used for a lot and that are popular for writing frequently, maybe not for long extended writing sessions, though you certainly could, um, you know, but I, I think, you know, just to leave a little bit of room in here, Drew, for if he means writing a lot as, you know, writing frequently in like an everyday carry situation, I certainly think those ones stand out um, in that respect, maybe E95S too. I don't know if I would throw E95S into the first way that we're categorizing it of like the writing for a long writing session, but it's a great like everyday carry quick writing kind of a pen that's reliable and isn't taxing on the hand. So um, I don't know though, for a long writing session, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's not a huge pen, but it's got a big enough diameter and it's very light. The nib is great. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the E95S on that one. I kind of just thought it tapers, it tapers a bit. So if you hold it further it does, back, yeah. it's, prob- it's probably fine. That's kind of where the Lamy 2000 falls for me too. Like, Lamy 2000 has got a pretty stiff nib, which again, doesn't necessarily mean anything. As long as it writes reliably, you don't have to press on it a lot. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but I think that there's any pen with a tapered grip like that, you know, you got to kind of see how it feels in your hand. If you tend to be one who grabs really close to the nib, then maybe not as ideal. But if you tend to hold it further back, like I do, I don't find either of those pens to be, you know, um, something that like make my hand cramp or anything like that. So anyway, a lot of information there, a lot of things to think about. I think depending on your preferences, any of these could be right or wrong, but I think generally these are some principles that will, that will point you in the right direction if this is what you're shooting for. Is there we go. Deep, uh, is that a deep enough dive? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking. <laughs> you still awake, Drew? <laughs> I, I'm working on it. Uh, I wanted to say that in regards to grip diameter, we recently upgraded our website a bit so that now we do have the ability for you to sort by grip diameter using a slider. So if you wanted to take Brian's advice and go with a nine or higher, you can just tape, you can select that slider to say exactly that nine or above. So we can sort that for you. So check out the website and we can get you, uh, we can get you started with a thick grip. Uh, Personally, Brian, I have found that I do write with my vanishing point uh, extra fine for long for my long writing sessions really? using yeah. cartridges. If we're traveling or something like that, okay. I'll bring a couple of just Namiki black cartridges. But the nib on that one, and to your point, it's one of my most consistent nibs. Mm. And I actually enjoy the weightiness of the brass vanishing point because it reminds me to not push down. I think that even mm. though I've been using fountain pens okay. for 10 plus years, I still, with some, I mean, not every fountain pen is tuned perfectly. And I have a bunch that are not tuned perfectly. So I do have to put push, push a little bit, you know, not a lot, mm-hmm. but not all of them write under their own weight like they should. So mm-hmm. the uh, if I were to be selecting a pen that is going to be, you know, a marathon pen, I would select one that is perfectly tuned. And in my experience, mm-hmm. my vanishing point is one of my most perfectly tuned pens. That That's will, I can just point. drag it across the paper. And I think that added weight keeps it on the paper really, really well so that I just have to kind of move it, not uh, really grip it too much at all. So that one's really comfortable for me. But Mm. I would say that I think the best pen you recommended is probably the 823. I would go with an Mm. 823 with as fine a nib as possible so that it can last a really, really long time. But you also get that Japanese consistency and Mm. an extra fine nib that is going to be easy for long sessions of note-taking or novel writing. You're going to be able to maximize your space with that finer nib. And because it's a finer nib, you're also going to be maximizing the already huge ink capacity of the 823. 
I mean, how long do you need to go? Things like three milliliters plus hey, on there. I'm, I'm saying that that's a marathon <laughs> pen. If I've ever seen one. That, that is that, a marathon pen, yeah. That'd be my choice, yeah. Yeah, good call. Okay, cool. All right, next one I got for you, Drew, from Megan Shines. How do you choose what ink to use when you have so many to choose from? <laughs> we do have a lot of inks to choose from. We have over 800 colors at GoulaiPens.com. It is a lot of ink. And whether you work here or not with a company discount, it's still <laughs> overwhelming. So I, I, I'm often paralyzed with indecisiveness when it comes to choosing ink. But uh, I've got a few techniques that I have. And uh, obviously, you can always just browse the website. That's a great thing for just to see something that catches your eye. That's sometimes where I start. But generally, I have an idea of what sort of color I want to try. And in that case, I go to the website, I sort by color, and then look for something that speaks to me in terms... If I'm just looking for a true blue or a true turquoise or something like that, I'll sort out generally what color I'm looking for. And if a color doesn't pop into my head, or maybe I've got two or three that look like I'd equally enjoy trying them... I honestly don't mind looking at the name sometimes. I know that that doesn't have any effect on the color... But for me, I like to remember the names, and it's very difficult for me to remember some names if they don't really stick in there. And for them mm. to stick in my brains, they have to have a really cool, catchy name or at least something that I'm drawn to, something that reminds me of something or a place or something that makes it stick. I, I just I find inks more memorable that, that way, and a lot of the times I will just gravitate toward an ink that I'm familiar with simply because I remember its name. So I do like that. I do find value in that. Um, I also generally try to pair things with my pens. I kind of have rules for myself about which inks go with which colors in my collection. And I don't really know why, but I suspect it's probably just so that I can put rails and borders on myself so that I am not paralyzed with indecisiveness because I've been there before many, many times. So I, I tell myself like with a demonstrator, it's generally... Uh, like a black. I don't know why you could very easily say with the demonstrator could be anything. Yeah, but wide, it's wide open, man. It is, but I, I just, to me, because I don't have a lot of plain black pens, this is one, but okay. Okay. Uh, I'm like, you know what? Demonstrators are for black, just to, just to put that out there. And my Lamy 2000, for whatever reason, I've always used dark green with that thing. And so it just, it, that's, that's what I use dark green in. So that helps me. I just, it's arbitrary, I know, but it helps me make decisions. If I just kind of assign certain ink colors to certain colors of pens, it just makes it easy for me to decide. Granted, I have absolutely broken that from time to time, but it does give me a good starting point. So make arbitrary rules for yourself. That's my suggestion, I suppose. <laughs> um, recently, though, like our discussion on pink ink, I've gotten very excited about uh, having a go-to in every color. So finding that champion... Mm president of the pink ink society the ruler of the you know yellow inks i want to just have one of those so that's kind of taken me down a rabbit hole of trying to find the best version of certain colors so that's an easy thing you can do you can give yourself a little quest like what is a maybe an underappreciated ink that you don't often give the opportunity to use to or b what do you think is the best blue or the best brown or the best dark green, light green, lime, yellow, coral, whatever? There are so many inks. You could very easily just task yourself with finding your favorite within that little tiny uh, color group. So 
missions and quests are fun too, mm. in addition to arbitrary rules that don't matter at all. <laughs> um, and also for me, as you might know, I only keep three pens inked up at a time. And generally I try to have three different types of nibs on them. So I have I always have one with an extra fine nib because that's my favorite nib size. I find that I use that the most. And then I usually have a more in the middle of the road of not medium or broad, something that can put down more ink. Generally, I have a more fun, more shady ink in that so that I can see that pooling with the wider nib sizes. So that uh, I enjoy because the extra fines don't really give you that. You could have the most exciting ink you want in there, but an extra fine is only going to put down so much ink. So you're not going to see the saturation that's necessary to show off a lot of ink features. So, and then finally I have a nib with a fun size on it, like a stub or a flex or something that provides a different writing experience. That's just kind of in that just for fun category. If I'm just like doodling or something like that, not really a note taking pen, but well, I guess it depends if you want it to be larger generally i go with like a a stub though so because of that that sometimes influences what inks i choose as well so if i'm just cycling one pen out of my three pen system if it's the extra fine i'm not going to be looking for a lighter ink i'm not going to be looking for an ink with heavy shading i'm going to be looking for a dark brown a black a dark green uh, blue something that is going to be that's something that's going to stand out in that really really thin stroke because my extra fines are generally Japanese and they are thin. So that also again arbitrary rules. Since I have pens for a purpose, that helps me pick ink as well because it depends on which pen or which nib I am filling. So I guess arbitrary rules are going to be my suggestion. <laughs> that's what I use anyway. Your life sounds like a video game. It's like arbitrary rules, quests, and missions. This is the way I live, man. This is just, uh, this is my life. There Welcome. You go. I like that. So, I mean, that's yeah, good. that's it. I, I give myself tasks and missions that are relatively I mean, pointless. But, uh, you know, without, like, what rules aren't arbitrary, right? You know, somebody invented one at some point. Some of them are more important than others. Granted, sure. th- these are not, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Well, when they make more- things they, they make things simpler. I, I very would very much would be completely. It would be debilitating for me to just sit there in front of all that ink and just be like, just to pick any of them without any sort of stabilizing walls that I create for myself. I would just sit there and stare at the website for hours, and that's not good for anybody. Yeah. Well, you pretty much just described my process. I uh, <laughs> mine is much less. I mean. All, all of what you're saying sounds great. Obviously, Drew <laughs> is more thoughtful about this than I am. I mean, so it's a little different for probably both me and Drew, but it's like we have access to all of the inks on our website, so we truly have a lot of options. And we also talk about them, so like it's a little different for us. We're not necessarily just using for our own personal gratification. It also behooves us to have knowledge of a different, a lot of different types of inks and how they perform in different pens and so on and so you know, you know, if I, if I wasn't a pen retailer, I probably, no, I would probably still a lot of inks because I'm kind of a serial collector anyway, or acquirer. I'm not a collector. I'm not a collector because I'm not intentional enough. I consider myself an acquirer <laughs> of various things. So I would probably still have just a hodgepodge of all kinds of different inks, uh, even if I wasn't in the pen business per se. But um, my, my approach is much more 
I don't know, intuitive. It's much more in the moment. I definitely have go-to ink colors that I tend to gravitate to over and over and over again that are like my, yeah, I need to fill my pen. Uh, I don't really feel like thinking about it that deeply. Okay, I'll go with, you know, the ones that I know and love and use them frequently. I um, don't at all. But I don't have a go-to ink. I really see? don't. Yeah, see, I do. So maybe that's why I'm a little more, That's I guess that's my anchor is like, you know. I just... I, I'm so drawn to trying new things and it's so easy. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. And I am too, but not for I'm also in the office thing. more than you these days. That's true. That's true. I am I I you're and you're swabbing all the new colors that are coming across too. So yeah. it's a little more tempting. It's a little more like in your face than it is for, Very me, much. for me necessarily. Um but I have like more I have more inks in my personal collection at my personal disposal. So like when I'm even when I'm just in my office, I'm literally looking at two hundred plus bottles of ink that I could ink up any of them and not even just existing colors. I'm talking past limited editions, all kinds of stuff that I've been hanging on to for over a decade. So it's like you get that whole element to it too. So me, there's a lot that goes into my head about it, which is why I can't just have like a couple of steps of a process of sorts. But I think generally speaking, it's a little more intuitive. It depends on what else I have inked up, what ink, what color haven't I used in a while. I'm like, yeah, you know, I haven't, I keep gravitating away from green let me use a green. And so I'll kind of like narrow it down. So it's, it's very subjective to me. Um, and I'll kind of just be like, yeah, okay, what green do I want to use? So I want something kind of light yellow, whatever. It's like, well, I really don't like most olive greens. So let me, let me intentionally use an olive green and just let me see if I like it again, you know? So it's like, I'm very just kind of in the moment about it when I'm trying to pick a color just for the sake of using an ink color, you know, I'm very exploratory in that way. Um, so it's a much mess, less, much less methodical process than what Drew's describing, but you know, a little, a little more free form, free spirited, I guess. But I always have my anchor of like my go-to, you know, bottles of like my Robert Oster blue water ice and my Emerald of Chavor and my, uh, Dimine red dragon and stuff like that. That's like, all right, I know I want a red. I don't feel like thinking about it. Red dragon. I know I'm going to love it and I ink it up and I'm like, ah, so good. You know, so I I definitely have some more go-tos that uh, sounds like Drew's having to work a little harder to come across his, but. No, I put those arbitrary rules in place so I don't have to work harder. Uh, Okay. The the rules are the hard part, but once they're in place, it's easy and I can not have my brain melt because I I overthink things. There you go. All All right. right. Well, I underthink things, but. (laughs) <laughs> we'll get to more of that uh, later as we get into the pencast here. All right. All right. Our final question, and definitely the most exciting for sure, mm. comes from uh, SFS Fanning. I'm not sure. But uh, they say simply, buy your cake. And depends on what kind is not an answer. And this is actually, believe it or not, something that Brian is not going to say that about. This is one hypothetical. That Brian, no, I know, firmly, is firmly in one camp on this one. Very, very easy. Uh, he, he's an easy definitive answer on this one. So, well, just look at me. It's not like I turned down cake or pie anytime it's offered to me. <laughs> um, I have a debilitating sweet tooth and I love pretty much all cakes and pies. I'll very rarely turn any of them down. Um, but I'm very much team cake. I'm just like pretty, pretty diehard team cake for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but mostly just because if I'm ever at a place where there is both cake and pie it's super rare i would pick the pie over the cake of just about any flavor whatever type i just i like cake more the varieties i like them more pie to me is just it's always mushy and you know i just don't like the texture as much there are good pies out there for sure but just in general i just prefer pretty much all cakes 
Though, you know, there's some cakes I'm not as much of a fan of. So I would choose some pies over some cakes for sure. But, you know, I'm pretty much always going to lean towards picking a cake. And when we have had this discussion at work, which we have had at length. Oh, it's like uh, Kurt, it's part of the onboarding process. It's actually yeah. something we keep. We ask of. every new hire whether or not they prefer cake or pie. And not, right now, not for, pies, not for whether or not we will hire them. Just for like when we do no, company, when we, yeah, when we do company events and stuff like that, we order, yeah. you know, we order things people like. So, But right now, I believe the pies outnumber the cakes, unfortunately, because they don't understand the reality of the world. But we generally don't. I've said the word generally way too much this episode. We mm. don't often ever include like pizza as a pie. Tiramisu doesn't count as pie or cake because it's this weird in between thing. So uh, we're not, there are some outliers that just get thrown out. There's so a, lot of, a lot doing... of debate that happens on our team. Fun debate right. that happens around cake and pie, like cheesecake. Right. Like, no, no one gets cheesecake. That's neutral territory. It's I mean, called it's, cake, but it's basically it's, a pie. So no one gets it. I mean, if cake is in the name, that's what I would always stand by. Yeah. It's not called cheese pie. <laughs> no, it's not. That sounds disgusting. I mean, but then again, without context, I guess cheesecake sounds disgusting too. Serve, serve it up the exact same thing and say, here's cheesecake and here's cheese pie. You look at it and be like, why is that called cheese pie? That doesn't look like a cheese pie. You'd be like, exactly, because it's not. It's cheesecake. It doesn't really look cake. like a cake either, though. Sure, it does. No, it doesn't. It's got a crust. It's got a crust like on the bottom, but it's not like within a fixed crust. Sure it is. It depends on how I make it, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely, cake is like with batter and, uh, well, I guess cheesecake has batter too. Anyway, it's mm, definitely, it's, no, I, I maintain it's neutral We're the same territory. team here, Drew, come on. No, no one, no one gets it. No <laughs> one gets it. We don't count cheesecake. Cheesecake is an anomaly. It's a freak. Get it out of here. I'm more, Shun it. I'm more in the camp of like, I'm taking cheesecake. Like cheesecake is cake. <laughs> I will fight the pie people. So my my thing <laughs> is that uh, I I have a, a you know not surprisingly I have a system. So <laughs> with uh, you're all about your systems today. Drew. It's, not, it, it's it not a system. It's not what a is system. Your but system it's, with cakes and pies. Come on. I now. have justifications. All right. Oh I need gosh. to. I, my brain will melt if I don't put guidelines on on my, in my head. What's going right? on in your head? This is ridiculous. I, oh, dude, you don't even want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. Actually, it's, I already know it's too like, much. It's like a Ren and Stimpy nightmare <laughs> sequence. Um, but uh, uh. I look at pie the same I look at waffles, right? No matter where you go, those two things are going to be just fine. They're not going to be ever terrible. If you go to a grocery store and pick up a pie, it's going to be fine. If you go to a restaurant, pick out a pie, it's going to be fine. If you go to a grocery store and pick out a cake, eh, you know, eh, it's a little, a little sketchy. But if you get, if you have a... A, a like top of the line dessert chef and or pastry chef or whatever make the best cake and the best pie they can make I, I find more often than not the cake is going to be better I think that the worst cake just like the worst pancake are worse than the worst waffle and pie but the best cake and pancake are better than the best waffle and pie so I will give waffles and pies a stability Thumbs up as saying they're always a safe bet. You can't really screw up a waffle like you can a pancake. And you can't really screw up a pie like you can a cake. You can ruin a cake to make Mm. it inedible. But a pie, it's like even if it looks like crap, it's still going to be tasty. Mm, Um, So I'll I'll give I'll give cake. I mean, so I'll give pie and waffles thumbs up for that. But I just don't think that they peak quite as high as pancakes and cakes 
peak. So my vote goes to cake for that reason, because the best cake I've had is better than the best pie I've ever had. I think that the the, the peaks and valleys are greater with the pies, but I'm going to score this based on potential for deliciousness. And uh, hmm. the pies don't have it. So you just want to argue with me, don't you? You're like, just, no, it's no. just... Okay, You're not, I we're on the same team. I, I know, but you, you also like to debate, so I'm just waiting for it. No. You're like, oh, I don't know. Pies are no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, try, try <laughs> what? To, trying to make your own pie crust, you can do oh, that. Okay. You can do that pretty wrong. So I, I would debate with you. I suppose if you're making like, your own pie crust. Yeah, I would, but, I would but, even, but even then, it's still just crunched up crap that tastes good. <laughs> so let's say that let's say the the form is completely Boy, really just at my a mess. That description. Let's, um, I'm saying like it's just it's crunched up graham cracker. Even if it has no structural stability, it's still tasty. It depends on the mush- pie you're trying to make. Like not every pie is crushed up graham cracker. That's true. That's true. Okay. You know, you're not making an apple pie with crushed up graham cracker. Like right, trying to make but- like a proper like apple pie crust is not the easiest thing in the world, and it can sure, be but done. It's wrong. gonna, it's gonna end up, unless it's raw, it's going to end up pretty edible. But there are cakes that are so dry that you can't even swallow it. Like you can't even get that thing down, man. Like it's just like I don't know who's making like, your cakes. I haven't come across <laughs> any of some, these cakes. I've had some bad cake. I've had, I have had inedible pancakes, and I have it, and I have had inedible cakes. I've never had a pie or a waffle that was inedible. Um, so again, stability to the pie and the waffle, but the best cake I've had and the best pancake, oh my God, they were life-changing experiences. Just otherworldly. So life-changing pancakes. I'm just visualizing you. Oh, I remember where I was, Brian. Uh, I'm debating if I want to move on or if I want to hear your epiphany pie life change or your uh, pancake life-changing story right. it was at moore street cafe downtown wow. if you have not had their pancakes you have been living a sad shadow of a life my friend i guess i've been living a sad you are a, shadow you are not you are a husk of your best self so are you more team waffle or team pancake since, mm. we, since we headed down that road it's the it's the I'm, I'm more team pancake because the peaks okay. are higher okay the valleys are lower I don't know. If you saw some of the waffles that Rachel would make in college. Oh, I love me pretty, a waffle. They had some pretty high highs. I love girl, me a waffle. That girl can waffle it up. I love me a waffle. I, I, I would rather make waffles at home than pancakes because my pancakes just aren't as good. A homemade waffle is generally just as good as a homemade restaurant waffle because they're harder to screw up than pancakes. Yeah. Homemade yeah. pancakes taste like homemade pancakes. The best restaurant pancakes, though, mm, something special. Mm. No, fair enough. I don't feel strongly about the waffle versus pancake thing. I feel strongly about just about everything. The only things that don't matter. I, yeah, I either don't care about it or I feel strongly about it. There's really not a whole lot of middle ground for me. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we'll uh, move on to our tip of the week. What do you say, Drew? Let's do it. All right, Brian, our tip of the week is a pen friend generated clip of the week. Tip of the week. Tip clip. And this comes from Brandon Lee, who has a video on this. So just right off the get-go, I will run through this tip, but his video is going to be explaining it better. So I'm not going to get all up into showing you things. So Brandon suggested a tip for how to turn a ink sample vial, an ink sample vial, into a inkwell. 
and inkwell i'm just not good with my ands and my a's so brandon is going to be uh suggesting two different types of rubber grommets so these are like o-rings they're double walled rubber circles that you set down into a vial the lower half of the double wall ring goes down into the vial sits nice and snug and the top part of it stays exposed you can use a bunch of different pens. Brian said he's tried, sorry, um, Brandon said he's tried over 40 different pens and they all work with uh, one or uh, one or the other size of O-rings, which I will provide in the description. And he provides in the video that he made, which I will link to. And the pen sits down into the O-ring. You kind of twist it to make it nice and snug. You can then invert the entirety, the pen and the full ink sample vial, and then draw ink down into the pen while it's inverted and fill from a uh, more than uh, you know a half empty or a half empty ink sample vial or use a pen that might not be able to reach down all the way into the ink sample vial it's a really helpful tip i went and bought some of the grommets that he suggested i tried it it works like a charm i really really appreciated the insight and uh he also has been uh listening and uh, following us for uh like a decade brian he's uh well, a big, big follower. So really appreciate that, Brandon. And thank you. This Brandon. is not, I don't think this is Brandon Lee from the crow. If so, glad you're still alive. Um, didn't think you made it. So, uh, anyway, I will be linking to his video here and down in the description. So check that video out. I'll also post, um, the diameters. So the first one is five eighths outer diameter and three eighths internal diameter. And then the other one's five eighths outer. They're all five eighths, obviously, because that's the size of the file. And then five sixteenths inner. So that one's a little bit smaller than the three eighths. So mm-hmm. two different sizes. I'm sure you can find some uh, some elsewhere. I went to Lowe's to buy the ones that uh, I found, but I'm sure you can find them elsewhere. But they definitely have them on the Lowe's website. So that's the short version. But like I said, his video explains it in detail. He actually walks you through it. You can see the whole process. But it's fun, it's relatively simple, and they're affordable and easy to access. So give that a try if you so wish. I just thought that was a great submission, great idea, and uh, definitely is a video that deserves more eyes on it because it's super helpful. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not a... Th- this falls into, like, the category of, like, random pen accessory stuff that, you know, we might normally carry. We don't currently have these things right now. But, you know, it's the kind of thing that's like, oh, that is kind of interesting. You know, we could certainly look to source them out if it seems like something that's, you know, popular and reputable. And if it's something that would be easier for you all to get from us than, you know, chasing it down from some random hardware store. Um, So it's definitely like something we're open to looking into if that's something of interest. So let us know if that is the case. If you're like, yeah, it's not really a big deal for me. It's not really solving any problem for me. Or if you're like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing. Everybody should know about this. Then, you know, it's certainly something we could source out. So we're open to that feedback. Uh, as well yes indeed so thank you again brandon Mm -hmm. thank you and uh now on to the nonsense portion of our what's happening all right drew brian we had a week off nonsenseness yes we both had a week off of probably very different weeks off off because off because in quotations i I didn't do jack i sat around on my keister and just played a bunch of video games like a ton so i uh literally finished 
like three entire video games, like all, <laughs> wow. all the way through. I haven't had the time to do that since like middle school, maybe. <laughs> so that was just fascinating. And uh, yeah, I was just trying to save some money. I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, go do stuff every day. Maybe I can just play some old games. So I recently um, had been resurrecting my old Xbox 360, as you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of those games are not super accessible these days, and I haven't played that particular system in a while. So I went back and I played like a bunch of old Call of Duty campaigns, finished three complete Call of Duty games. Mm-hmm. I played the entirety of Batman Arkham Asylum and started on Batman Arkham City. I started a Splinter Cell game. Like I was remembering mm. all these games used to be like oh, super yeah. popular in the, uh, you know, I guess mid-2000s, and... I just had a blast doing that. So that was most of my week. And I was at home with my son Monday. It was Juneteenth and his school was uh, closed as well. So we we hung out and did some stuff then. And then uh, my wife took the day off on Friday. So we we hung out together on Friday. So really just Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was doing nothing. But uh, let's see, I believe it was Thursday I went out and I went to Carytown down, uh, down here in Richmond. And I went to a stationery store, like an actual stationery store, right? They exist. <laughs> they do. Uh, and it was called Merry Maker Paper. Uh, and they are, I don't know, I wouldn't, I don't know about primarily, but a big chunk of their business is doing like wedding invitations and stuff like that. Oh, okay. That makes but, sense. But up, but up front, they sold, they had Leuchtturm, they had Travelers, and they had fountain pens in a glass case, like right up there. They had... Some wow. retro, they had some retros in there. They had Lamy, they had a Falcon in there. And I was just like, oh, fountain pens, oh my God. Like, I can't remember the, the last time. <laughs> right? I was so excited. And uh, so that was delightful. They they had a they had a little Leuchtturm book, Brian, that was actually a business card holder, but it looked like a Leuchtturm book with a little with the little elastic thing. You'd open it up and you put your little business cards in there. That's kind of cool. Like, so it was neat. They had a lot of interesting stuff. And I just kind of just walked around and looked at all the products in the wild, displayed all nice and pretty. Because obviously over here, it's just all warehouse stuff. So we just have boxes on shelves. So mm. it's really cool to go and see it all presented nice and aesthetically, you know, mm. it was just really fun. So that was that was delightful. I had found it on Google because I just one day searched stationary stores Richmond and I was like, wait, there's one in Carytown? And apparently it's been there forever. And I just, I've been walking past it for years, hmm. which is so strange. Because, like, I walk up and down there. We visit Carytown all the time. It's like, the, that's like the place where you have, you have, if you have a friend that comes from out of town, you know, take him to Carytown. Like, it's, that's a very rich, Richmond-y You're little like, yeah, it's thing. Like, it gets you a lot of flavor ev- of the city kind of Right, like, exactly. Kind of so I've been up and down there, I don't know how many times, but never been in there. So that was really exciting. I enjoyed that. And then, let's see, Saturday morning... We woke up and I wanted some Krispy Kreme donuts. So I just drove out to uh, Krispy Kreme, bought two dozen donuts, a dozen for my household and then a dozen for my brother. And I dropped my brother off a dozen donuts at his front door because he lives like across the street from me. So that felt good, delivering some donut happiness in the morn nice. and nice warm Krispy Kreme. Mm. What day was that that you had those donuts? Saturday. Okay, because I also why were you also at Krispy Kreme? I also Kreme? had a donut, not Krispy Kreme. Oh, okay. So I don't want to take over your your session. Oh no, that's there. fine. You know what I was upset but, about? Duck donuts closed down like all across the city. Do you have you ever had duck donuts? Yeah, they do more like the cake donuts, right? 
Yes. Instead of the yeast style. I don't like do you the, do you like the yeast donuts? I like the yeast donuts better. Okay. I like them both, but I do have a soft spot for the cake donuts because the cake donuts go better with coffee. With coffee, yeah. They're a little yeah. more absorbent. So I do I do like yeah. I, I do but duck donut there was like a donut boom. I don't know if it was that way around the US, but in Virginia here there was definitely a donut boom oh, yeah. a couple years ago. Like pre pandemic. Mm-hmm. We had uh you know, this place called Sugar Shack that opened up a couple locations. Duck Donuts was originally in the Outer Banks in Duck, North Carolina. Oh. And they brought some locations out here. They had one, they had like three out here, I think. And then they all mm. shut down. The Sugar Shack shut down. So all the, the, the donut boom has oh, boomed. So no more donut Busted. boom. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the frozen yogurt boom before it, you know, that was a thing. There's a, cu- a cupcake boom too. There's a lot of there was a, yeah. There was a I think in between the donut and the frozen yogurt, there was yeah. a, a short lived little cupcake boom. We're Americans. Or, we eat horribly, so all of these things that are booms are <laughs> terrible for you. But yeah. it tastes so good. Um, yeah. So that was that was cool. We did, I did get some donuts, and then um, we started rewatching Peaky Blinders on Netflix. Uh, we had okay. seen it all the way through, but then we started watching the new season. And we're like, wait, what? What happened? Do you ever have a time like that where you go to watch a new season? And you're like, uh, wait, I thought they died. Are they not dead? And then you realize um, we need to watch. We need to watch the whole thing again. So, oh, especially yeah. I mean, that's constantly, especially if it's yeah. a show that I'm not like. If it's a show that I'm watching, you know, with Rachel, it's not like my show. Then I'm like not absorbing it quite as well. And if mm-hmm. it's like a real time TV show with seasons and all that kind of stuff, and it's been like five months since it was last on. It annoys Rachel because I'm like, wait a minute, who is this again? Wait, yeah. did they they dated before? Oh, they had a kid together. What? Where's where's the kid? <laughs> What's happening? Where does this take place again? You know, and it's just like she's like, just shut up and just let me watch the show. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, no, I'll, just, was... I'll just sit here and be confused. <laughs> yeah, we we decided to go ahead and rewatch the whole thing, and yeah. it's been great. It, it's a really great show. The nice. uh, the music the music and the cinematography is a lot of fun too. So we're watching that together, and Shannon's doing rehearsals right now. So I'm having a lot of evenings to myself, and I don't want to watch anything really quality because we've got the dog, the little dog, and he is not allowed in certain rooms with carpet. Mm. So that leaves me in the living room where we have taken the rug up. But he's also running around like crazy with his nails on the hardwood or the laminate and I can't concentrate on anything. So my like not super important show that I that I am curious about, but it's not like a cinematic masterpiece that I need to be absorbed in is the Star Wars Clone Wars animated series. So I've been watching that to kind of just fill in my Star Wars knowledge because yeah. it's a gap and I and I you know I can't I can't I can't have that. So been watching that and that right. that has been entertaining. So nice. And the subtitles are on because dog claws and paws and floor but other than that it's been it's been quite delightful so i'll watch that while she's at rehearsal and then that's those are my re- rehearsal evenings and then when she's here we watch peaky blinders sounds good and that's 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 basically been my life but yeah my week off was lazy and beautiful just the way i like it sounds very restorative and i'm, I'm the type of person that do like sitting indoors not seeing the sunshine has no negative effect on me. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm not worse off after a day like that. I am not that way. I had, What'd you do? Whatever the opposite of the experience that you had, that's what I did. 
So actually before, mm. okay. So last mm-hmm. week I was up with Rachel's family. They live about two hours away in the DC metro area. So we went up there. Um, I had my niece and nephew both had their birthday and then Rachel's parents had their anniversary. And so there's lots of like family stuff to celebrate. Um, and then our kids, we did an art camp, like painting um, instruction and stuff like that. And they're both really enjoyed that. They're pretty artistic. So that was really cool. Um, it was our first week of no school, full first full week of no school with summer stuff. So we were like kicking it off with a trip and an art camp thing. Um, so yeah, we are in the process of finding our new summer rhythm with our kids because now it's no school and it's like basically our kids have just devolved into iPad watching creatures. So we're trying to maintain them as functional human beings in our household. (laughs) You're probably not alone there. Not just sock generators around the house. Um, But uh, uh, Mm -hmm. before we went on the trip, I did another, you know, I showed my infinity cube last time. That's right. Um, but I built something else that I've wanted to build for a long time. Um, so I built a table for, you know, because we've been working from home more, you know, the last two and a half years. Um, so I built something called a C table. So it's a table oh, yeah. that's basically in the shape of a C. It's like a little side table, but you can like slide it kind of under your sofa. And like when we host meetings and stuff like that, you know, we were using like a TV tray, but then your legs are getting on the legs of the TV tray. Oh, yeah. You're kicking it and then the video shakes and it's really annoying. Um, so the C table is a very sturdy table, but the legs are basically not in the way at all. Um, so I wanted to build this. And now that I can weld, I built it out of metal and I made a nice wood top. I had some Honduran mahogany that I'd been saving for a long time. So I built the top out of mahogany and I left like more of a raw finish on the metal. I wanted to be able to like see the welds and see the heat from the welds. It was the aesthetic I was going for. It's not just that I'm lazy, but that's what I wanted it to look like. Um, and it turned out really really good like i'm really happy with how it turned out and it's like okay like does it slide under the front of the couch or on the mm -hmm. side uh it could do either technically our couch is a recliner so it's got like a metal bar frame around it so it doesn't actually slide that deep under the sofa but if you had a more more conventional sofa like with just legs on it you could either come from the side or from the front or whatever um or just use it as a regular end table so it's, it's a pretty versatile little table um, so I'll make sure we include pictures of that here, but yeah, I'm curious to see it. Yeah, it was really fun. And I built it in, I don't know, four hours, something like that. It was pretty, Dang. pretty quick turnaround. So it's a pretty simple device, but, um, I was pretty proud because I had to get it all square and everything. And I, I think I did a pretty good job. So I'm pretty proud of it. Nice. Um, well Ra- done. And Rachel was like, Oh wow. Like something actual functional that you can like, use. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I'm like trying to practice and like build up my skills to build functional things. But you know, that was pretty fun. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> all the dumpster had, diving was worth it. Yep. I did some more dumpster diving. I did it again. Oh, I did you? The, I had to go to the dump and I got some more, you know, pipe and stuff like that out of the dumpster. Yep. Um, so that's a thing now. That's uh, that's a thing that I do now, <laughs> apparently. Um, yeah. So I, uh, also we had Father's Day that happened at some point. I don't remember where we recorded which parts, but Father's Day did oh, yeah. happen sometime recently. Yeah. Totally like that we just had a lot going on the finish of school and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, Rachel was like, yeah, sorry. I totally like didn't really do anything for you. And I was like, well, that's okay. You just bought me some, but you bought me a new TIG welding torch and a bunch of like consumables for the TIG. Thing. How so, kind of her. Yeah. Thank you for that father's day. And she was like, Oh great. So like we've reached that point now where it's like, 
my hobbies are so obscure. I can't even begin to explain to her what it is I want for these various things. So it was like, you know, I wanted these things. They had a Father's Day sale kind of a thing. And I was like, I'm not even going to burden Rachel with making her feel like she needs to do anything for me. I'm just going to go ahead and do this and call it the Father's Day thing and then just give her the credit. So it worked out well for everybody. So that was, you know, what my Father's Day wish was. What's that? Dinner at Waffle House. Nice. Okay. Dinner at Waffle House. Dinner. Wow. That's that's right. Like with the family, the whole family? Oh, oh yes. Do they have like tables? I think I always think. Do of, they have tables? Of course they have tables. I mean, like I know they have like bar top and I guess they have like, I think of table the table. I, I mean, I'm thinking of one specific one that I went to in high school. They have, but like, they have booths. Like booths. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But they're not like huge, right? Like they're meant to be like. They're not like you, sit here and have a long fine dining experience. It's kind of like a you're only but it's so just comfortable. a booth. It's a booth like any other. Okay, I remember the booths being pretty small, but maybe that's a specific they're, waffle house. They're at least of. yeah, you could do four, uh, two on each side, probably maybe okay. three if you want to get cozy. Okay, three. Wow. Okay, that's I don't know. Pretty good sized booth then. All right, three on. kids for sure. You would know more than I would. You're a, you're a aficionado of such a style. I, I am a yes. I enjoy a good. A good nice. even, evening at the Waho. There you go. <laughs> the Waho. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I've uh, never heard it called that. Um, yeah, so let's see here. We did that. So, yes, thank you, Rachel, for the Father's Day gift that I bought myself. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. So we did visit Rachel's, Rachel's family. Um, and in the past, when we've gone up there, you know, I'll bring some things. I'll bring some pens to clean. I'll bring, you know, puzzles and other things to do. Power tools. Well, so here's the thing. So, like, ever you, since... You usually bring power tools. Not always. Or I'll usually bring, like, a couple of things, but it's, like, I'm limited on the car space because okay. we're, we're bringing you, all the family yeah, you, you've, you've talked about in the past how you usually yeah. bring some tools to do some fixing. I try to, but it's usually, like, pretty limited. And, you know, I'll, like, offer it up. But, like, now, ever since COVID started, I am, like, all about doing some, like, home projects. It's just, I used to... I did it a lot... When Rachel and I first got married, kind of overdid it on our first house, got totally sick of it. That's when we had young kids, the business and everything. So I really didn't do much around the house for like 10 years. And then when COVID hit, it was like we had now had 10 years worth of stuff to do around our house. And it kind of got that fire ignited again. And plus, I was home a lot with COVID stuff. So I've kind of been on that kick, been acquiring tools and building my skills and building tables and all kinds of random stuff. Um, so I... I I brought that with me as we went to travel and I basically was like, Hey, Rachel's parents and sister, like whatever y'all need around the house, let me know. And we can bring whatever tools are needed. Um, cause basically it was like, we needed to bring some larger things and we have a pull behind utility trailer. Um, so I was like, I'm going to bring the trailer anyway. So basically we have a lot of capability of bringing stuff up there. So let me know what you guys want to do. And lo and behold, there was a list of different things that her sister and her husband needed. Um, so I had loaded myself up with work. So I added an extension onto their patio. So we had like some slate, like, like flagstones, um, that they had just like placed on the grass. Like we had, we had pulled them up from a plate on our property and gave it to them. And they just had it sitting on the grass, but they wanted to like, actually like dig out and, you know, install them with a paper base and all that kind of stuff. So I did all that. Um, which was a lot of work because they had like big tree roots and stuff I had to dig out. It was a whole thing. Uh, so I did that and it turned out really good. I'm very happy with that. Um, what else did I do? I installed a um, like workbench type thing, like a collapsible, like folding workbench in their garage. Yeah, um, I have so one of those. Could, yeah, yeah. So 
I had some leftover wood and hinges and stuff like that. So I brought all that stuff up there. Um, I brought my power washer uh, up there to help wash their house, but I basically needed to do some maintenance on the washer and the thing was acting kind of funky. It wasn't like soaking up the cleaning chemicals like it needed to. So the washer itself worked fine, but it wasn't like shooting the cleaning agents. And I was like, well, this is kind of pointless. So I like Yeah, I, I once, my brothers and I once got really close to buying one. Like we, we would go mm-hmm. all three in on one and just share yeah. it because we always need a power washer. You're not using but it then, like every day, you know? No, but, but, but then I realized that not only did I not count on myself to properly maintain it, but I definitely didn't count on my brothers to maintain no. it as well. And so, it's like a it's like a whole different type of yeah, thing. Like I no, I did not want to have to do with that. So I was like, you know what? Nope, we'll yeah. rent one if we need to. Because and, no. and I know this because like my my dad had a power washing company, and I mm-hmm. worked with him before. That's kind of the origin story of Goulet Pens. Is I was working with my dad power washing houses and cleaning carpets and stuff, and it was in the off season that I started making pens and blah blah blah. So. I had some pretty decent experience doing power washing. That's how I paid my way through school. Um, it was like washing and sealing decks and stuff like that. So like I, I have experience doing that, but it is like a whole different set of tools and a whole different everything you need to maintain that stuff. And anything that pumps water, pumps fluids through it, it just wears out quicker. You, It's high pressure, so it blows out O-rings. It blows out parts and stuff all the time. So it's a bit of a pain to maintain. So yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're not wrong in that maintaining that piece of equipment is a little more of a chore than like say a push lawn mower or something like that. It's, it's a little bit more involved. Um, so I didn't test it before I went up there. I should have. And so I brought it all the way up there and I was like, oh, womp womp. So had that. But then um, the really fun project though was, um, you know, a few days before we went up there, my five-year-old nephew had left a bunch of crayons in his pockets when they ran their laundry and used their dryer. So crayons and a hot dryer filled with clothes Mm. got all over their clothes, all over the inside of the dryer. And my brother-in-law had just had a minor surgery and couldn't really do that stuff, you know. Uh, Rachel's sister was trying to plan out two birthday parties and host the family and all that. So they basically just like did not have the time or energy to clean out this dryer and stuff like that. So I, I spent probably four or five hours scrubbing what? inside of their dryer because that's just what they needed. Like they just, it was the crayon, like I'll post a picture. That's it a was, long time. It was hard to get that out oh, of there. Oh my God. <laughs> it was the kind of thing that you're just like, Yep, this is going to be like a family story for a long time of the, you know, our our nephew will be like 30 and we'll be like, yep, I remember that time that you left your crayons in your thing. And he'll be like, and now I'm going to punch you. He'll be like, me. I don't even remember that. I was only five, you know, and you'll be like, I will never forget that. You know? No, absolutely not. I'd be like, no. I, I, I'd just be, I'm sorry. It just caught on fire. We're going to have to get you a new one. Like, yeah, but I mean, it just threw, it threw itself down the stairs. It's, it's, it's the kind it's, of thing you're like. As, as soon as I, you know, they, they tried, they tried to clean it out and they, they had some success, but then it was like, it still had just like, like coloring wax and stuff like all oh. on the inside. And it Did was, you have to, was it a scraping it job all, or a scrubbing well, job? So what I ended up doing, just in case anybody happens to need to do this, um, you know, they, um, they actually cleaned out most of the actual wax part out of it on their own, but you know, cause what they, they turned it on and heated it up and then were able to kind of wipe it out. Um, but what I was able to do to get all the wax out of there was I used a um, hair dryer. So I used a hot oh, hair dryer right. to sort of like melt the wax and then it was easier to scrape out. But the actual color from the wax was like 
oh, it was like impregnated onto the metal. Oh. Like it was so in there. And I didn't want to go so aggressive that I would actually like affect the coating on the inside of the dryer. So I ended up using those like Mr. Clean Magic Erasers. You know, oh, yeah. Like those sort are of abrasive, gold. you know. Love them. So I use those. I was able to do it enough to where I could tell that it was removing it, but it wasn't removing it aggressively. So I was basically like, well, this is this is the task. This is the project. It's just going to be a lot of this scrubbing. Oh, my God. So like most of my <laughs> – I would spend days like out there like hammering and digging roots and laying stone and stuff like that. And then I would come in and like on my hands and knees like scrubbing the dryer. And I was like, oh, this is using all the same muscles. And I like – I think I overdid it a little bit. My back is yeah. like, okay, I'm uh, I'm 30. You're a I'm much better person than I am. There's no way I would volunteer to do work on someone else's home. Well, if someone asked me, I'd be like, yeah, sure, I guess. Can you order pizza? But I, I'm not yeah. volunteering for that, man. Like, I, I, that's, that I'm, is respectable. Yeah, I just... And, and a little insane. It's a little insane, yeah. In retrospect, it was probably a bit much. But... <laughs> I know how much it really helped them out. And yeah, you know, no, you're a good man, Brian. Like, that was a cool thing. So that was kind of fun. And it was just, I don't know, the dryer thing was just kind of like, it sounds kind of terrible, but it's also like, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, I don't know. I like learning how to do different things like that. So it's like, I don't actually know. Like I have a concept of how I would clean crayon out of a dryer, but I don't actually know. Like I would kind of be curious. And so it like, you know, it allows me to kind of like deep dive a little bit into how do you clean these things and watch some YouTube videos and then I try some things out and I find out and then I like I have that I like pack that away into my little basis of knowledge and I can pull it out 10 years from now when I have something else random that comes up. So anyway, that was pretty fun. Um, we also um, <laughs> Rachel and her sister did a little like Animal Crossing bonanza. So Rachel um, uh, has been doing Animal Crossing hard ever since COVID uh, as you know, Drew. Um, mm-hmm. She has uh, played with your wife and given her many, many things yep. and instructions. Yep. So her sister recently got into it. And so now it's like their little like thing that they get to do. And, you know, she lives two hours away and, you know, there's like, everybody's busy. We all have kids and work and all that kind of stuff, but they have something that they can kind of do together and bond. So it's like a cool little family thing. So Rachel was up there like just dumping like tons of just knowledge bombs all over her sister with Animal Crossing. So that was pretty fun. Um, also we, um, so Rachel's dad plays trumpet um, he was a trumpet major in college, and he's been in a number of bands over the years, but he recently got into a, a, actually a very good, very reputable uh, disco revival band. And Ooh. we got to see them play live on, was it Friday last week? And it was, I mean, the weather was beautiful. It was at this, like, outdoor, like, you know, farm kind of themed, like, place. They had, like, a legit oh, cool. stage with lights and all this kind of stuff. And they played three sets. It was three and a half hours. Oh my we, God. we didn't stay for the whole thing because it went until like 1030 at night and the kids just couldn't. Yeah. Um, but we stayed for a good portion of it. And he was he was so good. The band was great. They played um, just about everything you can think of. I think they have like 150 songs in their arsenal. It's just so many. <laughs> but they're really wow. good. The kids. Had were they were they were they were they wearing period <clears throat> outfits? Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. He had this like purple and blue kind of sequency ombre type shirt and nice. yeah, they do the whole thing it's, it's pretty darn fun um they're really good and he's having an absolute blast so um a lot of fun so that was really cool to get to support him and get to see him live and everybody was dancing having a great time um, so that was pretty fun um but the the most exciting part of it <laughs> happened on the way home um so you know we brought this whole like trailer load of tools up oh there. yeah um 
So oh. on the on the drive home, which traffic is often pretty heavy between like DC and Richmond, coming back, we um, we knew that we had some traffic. We looked at you know whatever the apps and stuff that we look at, and it said like there were some accidents on the highway and all that. So we took you know more of like the off highway route once we got closer to home. Um, and I'm glad we did that because I had a blowout on the tire on one, on one of the tires on the trailer. Um, so thankfully we were not going highway speeds. We were going through like a town portion of where we were. And I don't know, I don't know why the tire blew out. I mean, the trailer was kind of old and you know, stuff like that, but I looked, the treads are fine. It didn't seem dry rotted or anything like that. I try and keep on top of these things, but just for whatever reason, I don't exactly know why. Maybe we ran over oh, something. Man. Maybe something happened. Um, did you, did any of your tire. stuff like fall out or fall over no, or get damaged? It was, so we were, this is where it was like, okay, yes, this dramatic thing happened, but it's like so many things happened that could have been so much worse. I'm yeah. just like so grateful for how it did play out. So because, I mean, you had a power washer in there. You had all sorts of stuff. Oh, we had all kinds of stuff. And it was all strapped down like crazy, too. So, I mean, that wasn't well, That sounds like you. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the crazy part of it was, so, like, we got the flat tire. And I, I kind of felt a little bit of a bump. But we were going through, like, you know, a town road that wasn't, like, paved super great. Yeah. So, I thought it was just, like, kind of a bumpy road. But then somebody driving next to us, like, honked and kind of pointed back at the trailer. And I was like, oh, shoot, there must be something mm. going on. You so I, I slowed way down and there there's, you know, it's like a four lane road with no median, no shoulders. You know, it's like a kind of a country road of sorts. So there's like, you know, usually like a ditch and then like either trees or grass or something. So we just happened to be at a portion that there wasn't a huge ditch and there was like grass in front of like somebody's like farm or whatever. And so there was like a place I could pull over. Well, I slowed way down. And as soon as I started to pull over, the tire must have been completely flat because as soon as I pulled over the change in like the the pressure from going from the road to the grass caused the tire to completely just separate from the wheel. So the tire just like popped off. We were going maybe like 10 miles an hour at that point because I had slowed way down and then I pulled over onto the grass, but literally the tire just like bloop. And I was like, well, that ain't great. <laughs> so, but, but, but again, like, you're not that catching have, that. That could have happened while you were going much faster, and it didn't. And if it had, yeah, If it had happened, you would like, like a strap down or not, like your stuff would have. Wouldn't have been good. Oh my wouldn't god! Have been good. I mean, realist, wow. realistically, I mean, there's the trailer's not that heavy and stuff like that, so we probably just would have rode on the rim for a while, and I would have tried to pull over to safety. But yeah, if we'd been going like full speed in the middle of the lane on the highway or something like that, it wouldn't oh. have been. Wouldn't have been good. Oh man. But again, I don't know if I ran over something, you know, you never know what, what could have happened. You know, if I'd been on a different road, maybe it never would have happened, but either way it happened. I don't know exactly why, but here we are at like five o'clock on Saturday night after we've already been through a lot of traffic, we're exhausted. And now here we're on the side of the road. And I was like, I don't have a spare tire for this trailer on me. I was like, oh. I have one. I have another trailer that's bigger and newer. And it's like, that one has a spare tire, but it's like, this is like an old crappy trailer that we bought before Joseph was born, you know? And it was like used at the time that we bought it. And I was like, tag on it. I've had it. Oh, was that my, the like, one we used to like move warehouses? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh that yeah. One still. I remember that one. And I've like replaced the deck boards. I've done all this stuff to fix it yeah. up and repaint it and stuff like that. But I was like, I never actually followed through on getting a spare tire for this thing. And oh, I was like, God. so I'm here. I am with the kids and Rachel and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, Okay, cool, 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 cool. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> Thankfully, we weren't that far from home, maybe like 15 miles, you know, so we were relatively close to home. And I was like, okay. So I was like checking it out, just kind of seeing, okay, the rim is fine. Like, that's not a problem. And I was like, maybe, I was like, you know what? We do have a spare tire for the car and we got all the stuff in the car to change tires and the jack and all that kind of stuff. I was like, let me take off the tire, 
you know, and just see if the spare tire for the car would happen to fit this thing. Because if so, we're good to go and we can get home and then I can deal with it. Um, so I do the whole thing and take it off. And as you know, the kids are all like, what's going on? And I was like, well, kids, we get to take everything out of the trunk of the SUV now so I can get to the spare tire. <laughs> and oh. then we get to change out. So it's like this whole ordeal. But, you know, the jack worked great and we had all the tools and stuff like that. Turns out the tire just barely didn't fit on the trailer. <sighs> so here I am like, of course. okay, so here we are. It's like 510 or whatever on a Saturday. We're stuck. We have our trailer filled with stuff. So I, I don't really want to just like leave the trailer and come back. So I was like, you know, we called around. Thankfully, we had like internet service and stuff. Called around, you know, got a hold of third or fourth different tire place that we called that was still open and had somebody that could put a new tire that had a trailer tire because trailer tires are different than car tires um, that had somebody that had the right size tire that could put it on the rim but we had to like get in the car and book it down there because they were going to be closing soon so I stayed Rachel went Thankfully, she was going right by my sister's place who lives not too far off. She dropped off the kids. My sister like ordered the kids pizza. They didn't know anything different. So they were able to chill. Rachel went down, got the tire put on, came back up. I changed it out and we were on our merry way. But it was just like, wow, how we were safe. Even the place where I pulled over, it was like there was some tree coverage. So I was in the shade while I was waiting. There wasn't a shoulder on the road, but I was off well in the grass. It was on the side of the trailer that was not right up against the road. So I wasn't worried about like getting hit by a car or anything like that, you know, because you never know. But uh, yeah, so made our made our trip back from what would normally be a two hour drive ended up being uh, seven hours by the time we actually oh. got home. So that was <laughs> that was the whole thing. Um, and now I'm going to replace the other tire proactively just in case. And I'm going to buy a spare for that trailer. So we yep. don't ever have to deal with this again. But, you know, as we were doing it, I was unloading it. Rachel and I both kept a really cool head. And I was like, hey, kids, guess what? You're going to learn how to change a tire because now we're going through this. And what better time to learn how changing a tire works? So I showed them how the jack worked and the lug nuts and the whole thing, you know, because like who like pulls that stuff out of their car and practices in their driveway? You know what I mean? It's like you do it when you need to. So that was... That was a nice little just like end cap to our excitement of a trip that we had. But, you know, it could have been so much worse. We were very safe and I felt good about how it all panned out. But, man, what an adventure. What an adventure. So we took a very lazy Sunday and (laughs) just kind of. You earned it. Yep. Um, And then the other thing that that I did. So. In, in preparation, just in case doing all this work wasn't going to be enough to keep me busy, I went through before we went up to Northern Virginia and I, um, I went through because I've, you know, talked about how much I need to clean some of my pens. So I was like, let me go through and actually like separate out all the pens that I need to clean. And then as I have time, which I didn't really, and I was exhausted, so I cleaned like five pens. But I was like, let me go ahead and just separate all the pens that need to be cleaned from the rest of my pens. A hundred and sixty. It wasn't that bad, but it's definitely over 60 pens that I have that need to be cleaned. Um, so it's a little little daunting. Now, some of them are not what? that bad. They're one, so some 60, of them are ones. More than 60? Yeah, yeah. Well, Brian! I mean, they, even like the, the sailor video that I just did, I inked up like 10 pens for that. You know, so oh, it's like right there. Is yeah, 10, you know, So yeah. it's like you oh, do stuff man. like that, and then it's like, okay, I'll get to cleaning that. Oh, and then right. you do that for two and a half years with COVID, and it's like, 
Oh, poo. This is, and it was like, the reason I only cleaned five is because it was like 11 o'clock at night. I was exhausted. My back hurt. I was cleaning the pens. They were really dirty. (laughs) And they took me that long to clean. I cleaned like five pens in an hour. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to clean any more pens on this trip. I think I bit off more than I can chew. So I'm like, oh man, my my new hobby might be cleaning up my pens or I might have to see kids to do see If it were me, that dryer and all the pens would just be burned and thrown into a ditch somewhere. (laughs) Just get, just, nope, done. Nope, not doing it. Get out of here. I don't know. You just kind of get, you just get psyched up. dead to me. Gets, gets psyched up and <laughs> you know you just got to decide like yeah okay i'm i'm going to choose to want to do this now <laughs> it doesn't mm. always work but anyway so yeah little little drama little excitement but you know it's good to be home good to sleep in my own bed good to be around the house doing things with all my tools that i normally have and uh you know we'll ease back into things but you know it's all good it's all good Helping out family feels good, so it's worth, all, go. it's no, worth that, all the trouble. That, that, that is good. That's good. Yeah, and that's what my week was like. Very exciting, <laughs> but that's why we also don't have a um, uh, pen spotlight this week, is because Drew was uh, very busy with his hands full, obviously, and uh, I had a few things going on. So you know, we'll get back into that swing of things soon enough. But um, before we uh, before we wrap things up, though, I do have a couple of company updates. So that is what we will do now. All right, some company updates here. We have a couple of videos that we have uh, done recently. Uh, Drew did a great seven best pens under $45. If you haven't seen that yet, definitely check it out. He's got another one that he shot that's in editing right now that's going to be top pens under $60. So he's just kind of moving up the chain here. At 60, actually. Oh, at 60, that's true, that's true. They're so, all $60. It's at or near 60 or are they all exactly 60 there are there are two there are two that are like less than five dollars below 60 that's at 60 i would call that's what i think yeah um also gonna have a video on the uh, lamy vista black that's our exclusive lamy um, we already talked about that here in the pencast it's not that different than what i already talked about so y'all you know whatever but it's for people who don't want to watch a two-hour pencast they'll have like a four-minute video to watch on that pen so or maybe you just want more of it, so you can also watch that for yourself. Um, and then we are going to be closed this coming Monday because we are going to be celebrating July 4th, Independence Day in the United States. So we'll be closed on Monday. But it uh, shouldn't affect our pencast schedule. We'll be back doing that again next week. And uh, that's all we got for this week. Now we get to wrap things up. So I want to thank everybody for watching. Please leave us some feedback about how we're doing. Ask us some questions and comments and whatnot. Um, your buds were stuck on something. Um, check out goodlaypens.com for all of your fountain pen ink paper needs. Subscribe to YouTube, Instagram, all these places for our content. And you can email us at pencast at goodlaypens.com if you're an audio listener and want to send us an email. And my fun fact for today, since I had tire changing on the brain, where it's related to changing spare tires. So I have some random internet data about flat tires. I was not able to find like a super legit you know legitimate source i found like a place that sells like tire replacement materials so it's not maybe the most scientifically viable information but it's close enough to logic to where i don't care um you know so apparently 27 ish percent of all roadside emergencies are tire related so tires are definitely a culprit of many things roadside related um and in the united states alone approximately seven tire punctures occur every second 
resulting in 220 million flat tires per year. That's just in the U.S. It's a lot of freaking flat tires. We're selling the wrong things, Brian. Right. <laughs> um, statistics also show that every driver will experience, on average, up to five flat tires in their lifetime. So the likelihood of running into such a roadside emergency is quite high. As I am in the minority then. Have you never had a flat tire? One. One? Okay. One. Well, there's, it's coming. Your life ain't over yet. I've had no less than two for sure that I can recall, but I think I might have had more than that. Um, yeah. Not counting bikes. Bicycles, I've had many more than that. Anyway, um, so my advice, given my most recent experience, go ahead and check the condition of your spare tire just in case, you know, because sometimes they go flat over time. Um, personally, I keep a spare pump in every car like one of those pumps that you can like plug into your you know power outlet just because i run into enough situations between bikes and kids inflatable toys and whatever where it's just good to have they're not that expensive and then if you run in a situation you can do it um uh, always keep a spare tire on any utility trailers that you might use that's a recent lesson that i've learned um, because your car spare tires may not fit that trailer um, and it's not the worst idea to do a dry run of changing a spare if you're not that confident in how to do it, just because some of the way the jacks work and the way you fat the, the places you have to find things in your car, at least like study up like where the tools are in your car. Or if you bought a used car or something like that, make sure you have the tools in the car. Um, cause somebody may have taken them out and you never know if you never thought about it. So not a bad idea. Um, and then, um, yeah, odds are you're, odds are you're going to need it. I guess that's all the advice I had. Just make sure you think about it every now and then that's a public service announcement by brian let me be a cautionary tale <laughs> if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen at probably one of the worst times that it could but you know it could have been raining it was like beautiful and sunny it was kind of warm but it could have been raining it could have been after hours and we couldn't get a replacement tire there's so many things that could have been worse about our situation you know safety obviously is most important you know we were safe the whole time it was a bit dramatic but you know now we have a story to tell and uh yeah i don't know i don't know what to say it's more drama. I feel like this is like middle age. It's just craziness and excitement around somewhat mundane things every day, right? That's all I'll we enjoy got for you. Enjoy where you can. <laughs> there you go. That's all we got for you this week. Thank you so much. Glad to be back, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, and right on. <laughs>